All right, everybody. Hello and welcome to Six Pixels Under Podcast. That was my Final Fantasy VII uh, TGS or Tokyo Game Show trailer playing in the background. Um, my hat here really quickly. How's everybody doing on this Monday afternoon, Monday noon time? Episode 50 of the Six Pixels Under Podcast. Um, yeah, welcome to the podcast. This week's podcast is going to be about a lot of juicy stuff, a lot of um, Tokyo gaming show uh, reactions, trailers. And then we'll also talk about uh, possibly um, doing a death of a game on the GameStop um, news that's come out. Or sorry, on GameStop because of the news that's come out recently that they're shutting down, I think, 180 to 200 stores. Um, so we'll talk about that a bit later and maybe if that's going to get its own death of a game. We'll also talk about uh, the MMO roundtable for the week is going to be how to make an RP focused MMO and the, you know, parentheses is come up with features, a design or uh, some ideas concerning how you guys would create or uh, make a role play focused MMO. So if any of you guys have any answers for that, if you've ever thought about making an RP focused MMO or maybe you have... Um, you ha you've had some ideas you've been sitting on for a while. If you'd like to talk about that, you can talk about it later on the MMO Roundtable on the podcast. You guys remember the MMO Roundtable is a weekly council meeting of passionate but diverse MMO fans where we tackle a weekly topic uh, for discussion and have hopefully enough perspectives to cover um, a bunch of ranges of opinion, things of that nature. RP-focused MMOs aren't very common, so I figured why not do a question on how you, uh, how you would make one. I guess if that makes sense. On the MMOs on the go segment, I had two things that I wanted to react to MMO-wise. At the moment, Arcage Unchained put out some of its balance changes. Uh, they've also just put out a bunch of changes in general. Um, recent news has been coming out. Of course, Arcage Unchained, you're going to have recent news continuing to come out. If you guys actually remember um, last week on the podcast, I told you guys that they would be doing a test the last week of the month. They finally confirmed that. Arcage finally confirmed that. So... We can talk about that. And then also, final, it was interesting, Final Fantasy XIV coming out with some sort of near Automata. Uh, I, I believe it's a raid. I'll talk about that as well. I didn't really see that coming, and um, crossovers are interesting, you know? It, it's always interesting to see crossovers, so I want to react to that a little bit. Cube Worlds. Hey, someone was talking about Cube Worlds. Yeah, uh, actually, I retweeted Cube World because... They were showing off one of the classes, and I, I was pretty impressed, you know. Impressed with what... Roundtable isn't on Discord, yes. I'll let y'all watch this trailer first, because, man, I thought that this was pretty exciting. I'm a huge Final Fantasy nerd. I mention to you guys all the time. I had to switch my hat around, by the way, if anybody noticed. Those some stealth moves. Wow. They even, vo they even did the voice acting for certain scenes? Feels like we're flying high these days. <laughs> now, more than ever. He's a keeper, all right. Yeah. I'll see myself in. Thanks. Uh, you can have ja Japanese audio, right? From what I remember. 
I just released a, or I posted a video last night of somebody showing off a Japanese gameplay. Wait a minute. Those eyes. Do you have to play it in English? I wonder. Because I normally don't like English voice acting when it comes to anime. On a merry chase, they put a lot of effort into doing the cinematics. Um, they also showed off some gameplay as well. And um, I I'll start talking to you guys about that once I find that. I don't know if I even linked it. But I found some crazy 4K gameplay of uh, Final Fantasy 7. And I'm a big Final Fantasy fan. I loved Final Fantasy uh, 7. I don't quite think it's like the greatest game ever, maybe, as some people can say. But... Um, I can see that perspective. Okay. I don't know why. Um, this gameplay didn't save. This was from four days ago. Uh, Final Fantasy VII released some 4K gameplay. It was a full demo walkthrough. And, um, hey, if you're a Final Fantasy fan, I don't see how you don't get to watching this like in if you would have gone back in time and told my young ass that they would have remade these games maybe i wouldn't have played them then i would have just been like oh i'll just play them when they come out again because i went back and played um or sorry i went back and beat the final fantasy games older in my life like when i was young i didn't have the patience to actually like finish the games or beat them the only one i beat was uh, final fantasy 10 the other ones i'd get far and just never finish it but I went back on my PC whenever they, uh, or at least whenever I got a PC that could work and function properly. I'd play Final Fantasy XII on it, seven, eight, nine, and pretty much play all the Final Fantasies on the PC these days. But uh, through the use of emulators and things of that nature, never before did I think we'd get you know an actual full uh, remake of gameplay and, and visuals in a Final Fantasy game. But it makes sense that it's seven. Um, though I know people are going to bring up 8 and how 8 has been giving a lot of shit because uh, it's just, it has a lot of the same base textures. And so people complain about that sort of stuff whenever your background imaging is the same because it can cause clipping, lower quality images next to higher quality images can create, you know, a contrast and things of that nature. But I, I haven't tried it yet. I just recently, my cousin got a PS4, so we have to try out uh, the remakes or the remasters. Because I don't have as negative as opinion as I guess some people have. Some people don't want to see them at all. I'll see them as long as it doesn't mean that we don't get to get new games. You know, it's the same way as like I enjoy WoW Classic, but I don't want WoW Classic for the next ten years, for the next five years, for, or even the next you know years. I I want that to become something else as well. Because something that just stays the same, um, it gets boring after a while. Yeah, RPGs are replayable, but uh, just not in the same level that. Getting the gameplay completely remade would do to your level of gameplay. Uh, or, or at least replay value, I should say. I do need an emote. That's a good point. Glad you, uh, you picked up on that because that's, uh, that's something that my artist is working on. Right now he's working on the assets for another content creator who's going to be on my channel. And um, he's still doing that. He draws by hand as a full-time job. So uh, once he's done with that, maybe we can look into... Uh, Focusing on the emotes after that. That's a good idea. 
What's up, everybody, by the way? I didn't even say hello to you guys. I woke up pretty late, as you guys can tell today. Um, I was up last night, leveling in WoW as usual, trying to keep up with everybody in my guild, and also just uh, write my next video, which is going to be about the business models and uh, MMOs. What is the best business model? Uh, and it's going to be a, co a conversation about the free-to-play business model, subscriptions, and buy-to-play. And uh, ultimately, it's just going to be a pros and cons of each as I never do, I'm never going to say which one is actually better because I don't believe that a business model is inherently better per se. I think it's more of how you use the business model. But uh, yeah, so I'm working on that right now. That video should come out next week. And a video that should be coming out either today or tomorrow should be the Shadowrun video that I previously discussed last week. I just needed to redo uh, maybe one vocal line or something like that. Got to shoot one uh, fuck up I had on a vocal line just because sometimes you mess up tempo. You have to reshoot things in different cadences, like different speeds at which you say it. Um, once I fix that, that should be pretty good and coming out tomorrow. So that's the plan for the next content coming out. As for what we're going to talk about right now, let's talk about GameStop. GameStop to close 180 or 200 stores, uh, underperforming stores it specifies globally this year. More store closures planned in the coming 12 to 24 months as part of the ongoing company restructuring. So if you guys remember um, when we had Indigo Gaming on the uh, podcast, we talked about uh, Game Informer and how they were essentially laying off most of their Game Informer uh, force and that uh, that didn't look good for the future of GameStop. I went as far to say to Indigo that um, when, it, when it came to my opinion of GameStop and how they were looking... I already thought that they were on the way out because I had already heard of stores closing down and them trying to repurpose their stores, which means that whatever you're doing currently just isn't working or isn't working well enough. Um, over 5,700 of the stores, um, according to the CFO of GameStop, James Bell, said that 95% of them were profitable. That's interesting. So 95% of the stores were profitable. Nonetheless, the company is beginning to roll out an ongoing plan that will also result in even more store closures in the next two years. Because we have a clear opportunity to improve our overall profitability by de-densifying our chain. He's Sorry, like whenever I try and read uh, corporate speak, it's always so strange. Like I never understand why they can't just say what they mean, but then I, I remember that either they have investors that they have to worry about or a board, or they don't even own the company themselves so or have like a big vested interest in it, meaning like maybe over 5% <laughs> equity. They probably, like a CFO probably doesn't have more than like 5-10% equity here in this case, right? With how big GameStop is. But I'm always just like confused whenever I hear things like de-densifying our chain. Don't you just mean firing a bunch of people? <laughs> just call it what it is, buddy. That work is well underway. We are on track to close between 180, or sorry, 180 and 200 underperforming stores globally by the end of this fiscal year. And while these closures were more opportunistic, we are applying. What? How do people let these guys get away with saying dumb shit like this? While while the store or while the underperforming stores blah 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 says. While uh, closures were more opportunistic, we are applying a more definitive analytic approach, including profit levels and sale transferability. What? what? What do you mean closures were more opportunistic? You guys have been in trouble for a long time. To wait until essentially you have to cut so much of your workforce essentially tells me that's the problem of upward mobility 
because there isn't really such a thing as upward mobility. Here's what I mean. When a company and a small company, let's say GameStop started as just a company of a couple dozen people. Well, after GameStop continued to open up more and more stores, right? At least traditionally, this is how it works. I guess we'll find out once we do a video on it at this point. Um, but it acquired more and more stores until eventually it got to a big size. Now, if you guys remember, GameStop for the longest time was kind of like it didn't have a whole lot of competitors. It, it acquired a whole lot of other stores. So it kind of rose to prominence over hostile takeovers, which is kind of the case of a lot of big American corporations. So EB Games and um, I think uh, Funko Land, uh, Indigo talked about that. Other places were acquired by GameStop. And then GameStop kind of just kept doing the things that the way that they were doing them which worked in the short term, but clearly hasn't really worked in the long term because not a lot of people have a positive opinion or positive uh, viewpoint when it comes to GameStop. But also you're looking at 2019, they can't transition. There's no transition for them at this point in sight that I can see. When you're shutting down 180 to 200 of your stores, it basically means that your company has gotten so large that you just can't afford it anymore. And so the only thing you can do in that case is cut your workforce. Because essentially, you've let yourself grow to a certain size where the only way that you can go is either maintaining what you got or in the case of a min, uh, many, many, many American corporations, unlimited profit. You just have to keep driving towards that unlimited profit, which is in, insane, right? And not really realistic. But that's an ideal for a lot of people. That's what drives these companies to get to the size of 180, 200 stores and then all of a sudden be like, well, you know, these closures are actually pretty opportunistic. We're not just closing them down because we're sad. It's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, the closes are opportunistic. Like, obviously, doing anything in which could get you money could be seen as opportunistic. But this is also game development. And, like, in this case, more specifically, we're talking about retail. And we're talking about people's lives. Like, people who work jobs. And it's like, I've been to many GameStops. And there are some generally good, like genuinely good people, gamers who work there, people like us, right? And they work there because they think it means something. The GameStop name means something. And I don't think it's mean, uh, meant something in a while now. It's been the butt of many people's jokes for a while. <laughs> um, I make jokes about GameStop. It's sad, it's sad that it comes to that and it's became that, but that's usually the, the end goal or the end uh, place that you end up if you take that approach of, we're just going to keep scaling up for infinite profit. It just doesn't work, guys. Like, video games are a massive medium, and they're the number one entertainment medium. But gouging people over resale prices, which is not even necessarily, like, legal in the first place because you're, you're basically reselling somebody else's license and all of this other stuff that goes into video game licensing. Like, there's so many weird moral gray areas and also just problematic areas that come with GameStop that it's just, like, at this point, and it's kind of like I told Indigo... I don't think we need GameStop. I think we have retro gaming stores. I have them here uh, locally where I'm at in Austin. And they're kind of all over the place. I'm not going to say that they're mainstream. They don't need to be. A game store doesn't need to be mainstream. Maybe that's okay. Maybe it's okay GameStop ultimately doesn't work out because it doesn't mean that we... Um, sorry, because GameStop got to the place that it uh, got now doesn't mean that we needed it. It just worked at the time and it's no longer working now. And they obviously haven't been able to get with the times because that's not changing. They tried to go digital with Game Informer. That's not really working out. Um, they've tried repurposing their stores. That's not really working. out. So at this point, it's starting to look like, um, oh, it actually, it, it describes it right here at the bottom. It says, this all comes as part of GameStop's reboot plan. 
which was a major, a major focus of the Q2 uh, earnings report. Let's look at that. In which a posted net loss of 415 million was posted and an adjusted net loss of 32 million. As the company struggles to regain its momentum, think about how much money it's hemorrhaging because of all of those stores and all of that workforce and the fact that your guys' overhead is so unbelievably high because you've scaled your company up to like insane levels of heights. To explain what overhead means, um, for those not aware, to go back to the company analogy of forming a company, if I only have five employees and one tiny office and maybe I pay for internet, computers, and work supplies of that nature, that's my overhead, right? And you can break that overhead down into a bunch of other categories like products and, and, and maybe like um, you can look at a stock, like how much stock do I have in my warehouse? And there's a bunch of other numbers that go into that. But in terms of, <laughs> in, in terms of uh, a reboot plan and losing this much money, what a reboot plan basically means is kind of just like gutting everything because there's no easy way to just stop losing fuck tons of money unless you just fire fuck tons of people. So like I talk about this a lot in my videos when companies start to shut down. The reason why I'm not always hard on these companies is that sometimes these companies don't really have a choice. In the case of many MMOs or videos or games that I cover on the uh, Death of a Game series, many of these games don't have a choice, meaning a developer is pushed into a situation by a publisher and they just kind of have to deal with it. The publisher has the, has the say at the end of the day whether or not that game gets shut down or that company in some cases gets shut down. In the case of GameStop though, it just feels different. It just feels like they're trying to make it work and the fact that they're trying to make it work is uh, applaudable in the sense that there, there are people who work there and I don't necessarily want them to lose their jobs. But I don't think they, as in the GameStop CEOs or executives, actually even care about the people losing their jobs anyway. They're just trying to fix the business at this point. And the business is already bunked, is just my opinion. Like, once a business gets to a certain stature and size, you can no longer just, like, you know, slowly move your way upwards or take in, like, a, a, a moderate profit or maybe even just breaking even. And you go into that infinite growth state where you have to take on way more people and you have to scale up to insane heights. I don't think that's good, guy. And this is a perfect example of why it's not good. Because when it doesn't go your way, all of a sudden you have to fire insane amounts of people of your workforce. And that's just not good for morale. It's not good for publicity. And at this point, I think GameStop is going to end up featuring itself on the Death of a Game series. And uh, I'm looking forward to that only because I think GameStop is a very interesting story. But it's a very typical story in the whole American scheme of things which is a company going from small to large acquisitions to giant size to corporation to over in just a, just a night. And that kind of shows you how faulty and problematic that kind of model works or, or functions for co corporations anyway. But I'm not even going to get into a big rant about how these corporations are driven endlessly towards pro profit because you probably hear that enough from Jim Sterling. <laughs> Jim Sterling is the guy that tells you guys that. To further expound on some of these numbers, I found this interesting bit on Twitter. So this was concerning GameStop's uh, financial numbers. Second quarter total global sales decreased 14% to $1.3 That's an 11% sales decrease. 
New hardware sales decreased by 41%. New software sales decreased by 5%. Accessory sales down 9%. So essentially everything that they sell in their store is down, which tells me, and this is just my opinion, guys, so take, it, uh, take with it what you will. That tells me that either their prices aren't working overall, which means that their overhead is so high that they can't even turn a profit unless they jack up their prices, or it means that they're just seen as somebody where you're like, why would I get these things from you? Why would I get a pre-owned game from you? Why would I get a collectible from you? Why would I get a new game or new hardware from you? It could also mean that, and that's just kind of like, uh, when hardware sales are decreasing by 41%, which I can see that happens whenever a new console isn't coming out, it still kind of has you worried, like, why aren't people going to GameStop to buy a console? Well, there's some kind of reason there, right? Is it the pricing? Is it the fact that um, they don't like GameStop? It has a negative uh, stigma, if you will. And negative stigmas really do matter. Because if you remember getting $5 for your six games that you turned in at GameStop, which means you got fucked over, maybe you don't want to go back. <laughs> and that's kind of why playing with your integrity and playing with your reputation is very dangerous to do in business because once you lose your integrity, you basically never get it back. GameStop stock is down more than 15% after hours of their poor financial uh, results. I didn't even know they had stock. Which basically means everything I said expounded upon times 10. The company reporting a 415 million loss is just... These stock numbers look horrible. It does not look good for GameStop. At this point, the only thing that matters with their stock is if you just want to buy it for dirt cheap and maybe sell it if someone tries to reboot the company. But who the fuck wants to reboot GameStop? Like... I wouldn't even reboot a shop if they gave me one locally. You know what I'm saying? I'd just be like, you know what? I'll just do what you guys do at corporate. Shut that shit down and maybe create another store. Go tell them to go fucking work at Game Over Video Games, one of the retro shops here. Don't work for a fucking GameStop. And sure as hell, please don't listen to any reboots or whatever or rebrands because you're going to get sold, guys, on a reboot or on a rebrand at some point. They're firing all these people and then almost like talking about it like haphazardly. Like it's some joke, like they're playing Monopoly. And then they want to do some sort of reboot, like we're just going to forget all of this. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not going to forget this shit. You don't just get to fire so many fucking people because of your own gross incompetence. And then basically be like, lol, it's good opportunities, right? Good business. Nah, you guys are doing pretty shitty. And so why not just say that? Why not just admit that? Why not just level with us now? Why do you have to still give us that bullshit of $20 for my, my six games, you know? Why do you still have to sell me on that bullshit? I could tell you why. Because that's how PR works in the public space. And that's how big corporations that have traded stock, publicly traded companies, I should say, that's how they function. They're driven towards profit. Their organic growth is terrible too. It doesn't surprise me. What is their organic growth? <laughs> Word of mouth. <laughs> Family video rentals are still around because they have a secret room behind a curtain. There you go. I mean, I do see places like that. That's why their numbers are public. Otherwise, they hide behind that shit. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Otherwise, they would... Exactly. That's a good point, Ludens. Otherwise, they'd be hiding. Otherwise, we wouldn't see these numbers right now. 
Otherwise, this wouldn't be on my screen, right? I wouldn't have access to this if they were able to hide it. But once you get to a certain size and you go public, hey, now we can look at your numbers. When we start to look at your numbers, we can say, is it the fact that, as you guys said, that you need to just transition your company? Or is it that your company grew to such a size that you let it grow to from essentially just arrogance, and now it's at a point to where it's no longer profiting, which it shouldn't anyway at that scale, because it's not really realistic anyway, right? Most companies can't turn profits at that scale. Like, it's pretty fucking hard for a giant corporation to turn a profit. You want to know what my evidence is for that, guys? Are you ready? Go look up Amazon. Look up how Amazon pays taxes or doesn't. Uh, and then look up uh, how they don't turn a profit. They don't make money. So how does that work? How does a company not make money, right? It's confusing. But um, I don't even think I have enough time to explain that to you guys. Maybe that'll be explained in a video sometime. Should I have just like a business 101 video, I feel like? Maybe because I cover business so much in my Death of a Game series. And yet I don't always have the time to unpack certain concepts. Like I do, you know, on my podcast right now. But if anyone ever just tells you corporation bad because big and money... That's too simplistic. So if they say that, ask them some more questions. But when I talk about corporations being bad, I come at it from a perspective of the art. The art, to me, means the most. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't want to be paid because I like that you guys watch me and sub to me because you give me enough money to make a living off of doing this. That's the only thing that keeps me from doing it. So I'm, I'm totally reliant on you guys as my um, supporters, right? Companies like GameStop, though, they don't really work in that same way, right? It's not a co-op or it's not a company based on some sort of relationship with other people. Um, I don't have uh, personal relationships with my clients in a big giant corporation of GameStop, right? But at one point, GameStop did have that feel. It did have that smaller feel where maybe you did feel some sort of connection. And I know I did. I had a local GameStop. Well, it used to be EB Games before it was acquired, but I had a lot of a rapport there. I like that place. But when you scale things up, you start to create very replicatable uh, business structures. That's how chains work. If you wonder why chains have such a bad rep in uh, America or maybe even other countries, it's often because the simplest example is if I make my own burgers at my own restaurant, my own way, that's my restaurant. McDonald's does it the McDonald's way at every McDonald's restaurant. That's a chain. That's the difference. The problem with that is that in the same way that a MMO, as I always talk about, right, can't appeal to everybody, a corporation or a company or a style of business can't appeal to everybody either. But why do people try and make it appeal to everybody? Money. That's it. That's it, guys. Money is why they keep trying to make it appeal to everybody. Because in business, trying to make something appeal to everybody is really only seen as a thing that you do when you're trying to go after all of the money. But realistically, you're supposed to have a target audience. You guys have probably heard that statement before, right? A target audience. When you look at like Shark Tank or something, they talk about what's your target audience? What they mean by target audience is like you guys. You guys are my target audience. Um, 18 plus people who uh, maybe like to read into a lot of things more, like to have conversations, like to talk about MMOs and, and think about MMOs. It's not... It's not, um, it's not the same kind of relationship as walking into a GameStop and just being another number who gets, you know, who trades in their content. It's kind of fucked over because of the prices and the inherent nature of trying to make money in a corporation. And then all of that is tied around your love of video games. You see what I'm saying? So my issue with big corporations like this is not really the fact that they're driven towards profit, although that is kind of the problem. 
It's more that they don't give a fuck about the art, okay? If you want my honest opinion, I don't like these companies, and if you can't tell in my Death of a Game videos when I talk about certain companies like this, I don't like them because they're just driven towards profit and they don't care about the art part. Me as a YouTuber, the person who, you know, the person who's driven by the community, I care only about the art at the end of the day because the business to me, I take that back. Yes, the business matters, right? I'm talking about it right now, but I'm saying from a personal perspective, the art matters the most to me because the art can create the business, right? But business doesn't create art and business people don't understand that, that art is what creates a business, right? So say, for example, you create some sort of game or some sort of music that then gets sold. The art created the business, right? Um, but a business doesn't just create art. In fact, most businesses suck at creating art because they're not designed to create art. So if you're wondering why these big publishers, these big MMOs suck from an artistic standpoint in certain ways, right? And we can have that discussion if you want to know why or what games I'm talking about, right? They suck because they're just driven towards profit. And thinking about a good idea and a good idea that's fun isn't always the same thing as thinking about a, an idea that makes you a lot of money, right? And when we talk about, um, you know, speaking about the business models, what I found the most interesting uh, in my research so far about the three different business models in the MMO market is that, uh, and by the way, we're at 63 subs, by the way, guys. Holy crap. Let me change that uh, really quickly. We had a sub. I'd like to do a Fedora tip for, I believe that was, who was that? Let me scroll back and see who you were so I do not forget. Um... Gardener, thank you for resubscribing. That's five months in a row. Welcome back to the Nor Club. All right. Where was I? I was looking at something. I need to pull this thing back up. No. Damn it. Where was I, guys? I was going somewhere. I was looking for something, and I, for some reason, I can't find it. Oh, that's right. Changing this to 63. Here you go. Let's do it live. All right, so it's not supposed to say writing stream twice. I don't know why it does, actually. It's supposed to say writing stream and then supposed to say karaoke stream. So I need to, I don't know. I guess I got to fix that. Um, but I figured I'd do a writing stream once I hit 75 subs, if you guys are interested, because I can show you exactly how I make my Death of a Game videos. Um, I want to make an actual produced video for that, as I've talked about on my Patreon. If that goal is reached at some point or if we have enough time to get to it at this point, <laughs> we have so much shit to do content wise, guys. I don't even know. Like at the end of the year, I want to have a MMO document, sorry, an MMO um, tutorial series completely finished. When I say a tutorial series, I mean completely the way through how to make classes. And these are all going to be general things. So nothing that I'm going to teach in this series is going to be like, for WoW, for this game, for that game, because there's plenty of YouTubers who do that stuff. You can go watch guys who do videos only on this game and only on this game. In fact, um, to shout out somebody who does a lot of uh, Arcage content, if you guys are interested in that game or learning more about it, go check out uh, Paradox. Let me make sure I remember exactly what his channel name is. Just because, you know, I like to shout out people who don't get the most views because... Man, there are so many great MMO YouTubers on YouTube. The problem is, is they only cover games that you've fucking never heard of. <laughs> That's the problem with the MMO market right now is that it's not popular enough, right? Maybe WoW Classic can change that and has been changing that. But like, I'll find a lot of good content creators, but I'm like, man, 
you get like 500 viewers because nobody plays your game. So it's like, I, I love giving those people the credit they deserve because I used to make videos like that too. I used to play an MMO and I'd make videos for it. Nobody watched it because barely anybody was playing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Paradox Gaming Network is the name of uh, the YouTube channel. I'm going to link it here. I just want to shout this guy's out YouTube, uh, shout out his YouTube channel. If any of you are trying to learn about Arcage Unchained and you're curious how that works, um, maybe some new information, what are the new changes, how to choose a class, any questions you have concerning it, honestly, you can get all of those answered just by going to Paradox Gaming Network, uh, his YouTube channel. I've been watching a lot of his videos. They've been informative for me. And I'm, I'm the one that's going to have to be testing the game in another week. So <laughs> that should tell you something. You know, this is the place that I go to, uh, go to, to, to learn. So anyway, now that I've got that shout out out of the way, I uh, appreciate the work that you do, by the way. Let's talk about what we were getting into earlier. To go back into my rant about the whole business thing, like businesses don't create art. It just doesn't work that way. And why doesn't a business create art? Because a business's purpose is to make money. And sometimes art doesn't make money. In fact, sometimes it doesn't make any money, right? I love telling the story about Vincent Van Gogh. And most people know his story about how he's a bit of an odd guy, a bit of a weird guy, but had a certain art, uh, you know, artistic nature about him that he never gave up on, right? But even in his last years, he was a dying artist. And I talked about this actually in my APB video. If you'd like to see my stance on business versus art, watch that video because I made it abundantly clear. But essentially, you know, you, you have that kind of scenario where the artist is always going to clash against the uh, business person because the business person can't force art to just make money, right? It's hard to do that. And my example for this is when Minecraft was created, my question to all of you guys now that you know how big Minecraft is and how much money it's been made, uh, or how much money it's made and how much money it was acquired for, billions, by the way. Now that you know all of that, I'd like to ask you guys a question. Was Minecraft created for a business or created for art? Was it created by an artist or by a business? Most people know Notch, the guy that was in, like, you know the story already. He's an artist. The people involved, they were artists. They created art. And then they realized, oh shit, we did something. And then they started making money out of the business aspects of it. That's usually how it works, right? It kind of usually works that way. I think the problem is scale. Um, scalability is the secret sauce to reducing costs and expanding in the long run. You can't mass produce art. <laughs> That's a good point. And um, I talk about that a lot with the whole theme park content. And you've heard me talk about that, Ulysses, but... It's why I don't think theme park MMOs, their content models are sustainable is because, well, they aren't. <laughs> They've been proven to not be sustainable. The only MMOs that can make it work are basically the most popular MMOs, which kind of tells you like there's a problem there. To get back to something I was talking about with the whole art versus business, the reason why I talk about that a lot in the realm of MMOs is you'll oftentimes hear the perspective of somebody who says, yeah, but this is appealing to the audience, but this is appealing to the masses, but this is like what people like to play, but this is, and they say things like that. Oh, but it's like, wait a minute. Do you forget what MMOs originally stood for? Like, do you forget what class of gamer used to play MMOs? There's a reason why these giant stereotypes and jokes exist that talk about, 
oh, you know life in this MMO, and oh, you give up your wife and give up your girlfriend and give up your job for to play this MMO. MMOs have always been um, very, very, very about time investment and uh, long-term progression more so, right? It takes more time to get things done, just period, right? Uh, thanks for the sub, uh, resub actually, I believe, Alundris. That's three months in a row. Uh, welcome to the Nor Club. I appreciate it. It's kind of like research and development. You are gambling on a moonshot funded by profits as something reliable. Yeah, it was created by an artist. Exactly, Bellsprout. And that's the thing is it's like artists create art and businesses create businesses, right? Our businessman creates a business where they can come together if we're trying to keep it like, you know, exaggerated for the sake of the uh, comparison. When the businessman meets the artist, the most important thing that has to happen between those two is they have to have an understanding that at the core, even if we're on the same page, we might disagree. And that's something that's kind of hard for people to do. Like people can't even disagree, period, but let alone disagreeing on nuance or disagreeing even if you're on the same page. You know what I'm saying? Like there's people in my community here that disagree with me. Does that mean that we're not friends or we don't talk or we're not, we don't get along? Of course not. They just have a disagreeing uh, a disagreement with me. When you have that artist meet that, uh, and l l let me get the Microsoft Paint out for this shit because I'm, um, I'm a visual person if you guys haven't figured it out already. I like to see things visually. It just helps me out. You've got the business guy over here, and then you've got the artist guy over here. When these two meet, they have a number of things that um, make their relationship very beneficial for each other. For example, the artist and the businessman, let's say, let's just do it that way. The businessman can worry about, uh, how do I turn this person's idea into a business, right? So just an idea is not a business. In itself, it isn't a business. Ideas can make a business, but they don't always make a business. Sometimes an idea tries to become a business and it fails at a business, right? In the case of video games and creating video games, I mean, come on. At this point, we know it's a pretty damn good business. So the businessman says, hey, artist or programmer or, you know, designer, whoever this person is, they design the video games. Why don't you start making this video game for me? In a nutshell, right? That's kind of how it works. The artist needs the uh, business person because the artist has the vision right they see they have the vision they know what kind of game they want to create they they know what kind of market they're trying to go after um and when i say market i don't mean from a business like demographics perspective i just mean in terms of enjoyment like for example if you like role play well that's your audience right in a way um they, but the 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 artist has that vision the problem with the artist oftentimes, and again, this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but also a bit of hyperbole, so just bear with me here. This is to prove a point here. The problem with the artist is that sometimes the artist is like, yeah, but my art isn't about making money, so I don't really give a fuck what your opinion is, business guy, because I'm only looking at the vision, like this little bit over here. I only see what's in front of me, and that's my game. That's all I see. If you're ever wondering why artists make businesses with the devil or sorry make a deal with the devil right where they sell the rights to their game or the likeness or the ip and all this other stuff it's oftentimes because the artist doesn't care about the business that much they just care about their game they care about their product so if an artist gets to the finish line and by the way that's what happened with shadow run shadow run which i'm going to talk to you guys about or sorry oh i'm going to talk to you guys about in the video that i just did about it but in shadow run the problem in that game is that when it came out it was like we are a multiplayer only game and that's our design decision turns out 
that wasn't the case and they were just rushed and so they didn't include a single player so in actuality was it really a design decision or was it a business decision it was a business decision and that's why it fucked them over some but if it was an actual artistic decision to not have a single player that can work overwatch has done that right in and itself is having a single player or not having a single player mean you're going to fail not necessarily but in this case it did right and so that's the problem with the artist is the artist isn't really they don't care about the bottom line nearly as much like they're not thinking about the revenue because they're just thinking about this is my art and i want it to mean something so if i'm making my mmo and i'm the artist this means more to me than anything if i can get this thing launched i'll accept a publisher which means he'll take the rights uh, I'll accept a um, a big corporation or a company to get involved So if they give me the budget. Um, I'll accept some big business wig if it means that he can get me the uh, influence that I need, right? The artist is like, shit, I'll take that sacrifice. I'll take that sacrifice. I'll take that sacrifice if it means I can create my game, right? Because <laughs> We made a little paw print here. Because that means that I can create my game. Now, where I want to talk about how it's different for the uh, business perspective how does the business person run into problems and what's their overall goal? Well, the business person, of course, has to worry about this because if they don't worry about this, the business doesn't exist, period, period. doesn't matter what size your business is, including my business, guys. That's why I ask for Patreon donations. That's why I have subscriptions. That's why I have other ways in which you can buy my merchandise and ways that you can make money for me because I need money to survive and to keep doing what I do, ultimately, right? At the crux of it, a business needs money to function. So he's got his eyes on making the business and making the business money because that's what he needs. The problem with a business guy is that, like Ulysses said, where does it stop? Where does it start and stop, I should say? If your idea is like, I just want to make a small company, boom, you've got one office, maybe that starts to be profitable. The problem is, if your eyes are in the clouds, the money clouds, you're like, huh, one profitable business, that's not enough for me. I need more. I want more businesses. Let's just keep doing more. And you tell the artist, hey man, let's just keep doing more. Let's just keep doing more. And you keep doing more and more until you get to 180 or, sorry, <laughs> 180 of them to 200 of them, like in the case of GameStop, right? And so that's from the business perspective. They're just thinking about, all right, so at the core level, right? He has a good idea. A very, very useful purpose. I hate when people demonize the business guy. I'm a business guy. I was in business and, and pro project management for like six years. But not every business guy is bad because not every business guy just ignores the art, right? And so in this scenario, you know, if this guy is only focused on the bottom line and the money, he'll do shit like this. He'll create fuck tons of businesses until once it reaches this, you know, cascading point where it just has to all come crashing fucking down. Because like... Ulysses said, scale is simply way too high. So the scale in these companies is way too high. The scale is high, and when the scale is high, the risk is even higher, right? The risk goes even higher because you have even more people that are, that are working for you, and you have to turn even more profit. So talk a bit about how the, their relationship can function together. Um, let's just do a new one. How their relationship can function together when you have the businessman um let me do the paint one that no where's my uh paintbrush feels bad man you have the businessman you have the artist right 
let's let's put that back up here the artist and the businessman now where they can also run into problems is if the artist doesn't care at all about business he's not going to make money and his business isn't going to work and good examples of this are games like gigantic for example which will come out they're fully developed nearly in entirety already they've got at least the core of a game, I should say. So maybe not fully developed, but the core basis of the game is developed. The core aspects of the game is developed. And then they, then they launch it, and they're like, Ooh, okay, now we need to make money. After four or five years of development, after no pre-orders, after no buy-ins to a pre-order beta, after no ways of making money pre-business being live, like your, your product being live, and then they wonder why when their game does go live, they're already in such a massive gaping fucking hole. The reason you're in this massive gaping hole is you can't just wait to monetize either. So it's, it is a complicated problem in that the business person can't go overzealous with the business and the artist just can't ignore it either because if they ignore it, next thing you know, they're going to put themselves in a massive pit where even if their art is good, not only does it need to be good, if you have 200 stores, for example, and let's say each of those stores has five employees, you have 1,000 employees or whatever, which is very low, right? Um, let's say you have 1,000 employees uh, at your store. Um, how much money do 1,000 employees get paid or how much money do they need to generate? Well, usually in business, right? If somebody's getting paid, let's say, $7 an hour to work 40 hours a week times four times 12, which is for the whole year, they're making about $13,440, and that's probably after tax, right? All, all of the taxes and stuff, um, you know, if you're going to take into consideration a minimum wage. Um, they say usually, and feel free to correct me if you guys in chat have a different opinion, but if you're going to hire somebody onto your company, you've got to make at least two to three times what they make. So, like, if this person's making twenty grand, that person needs to make you anywhere from forty to sixty grand to be considered a good employee. But how are you going to do that when you have a thousand fucking employees? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it just becomes literally unfeasible. <laughs> it's just mathematics. Like, it becomes unfeasible. Where you have this much people, or uh, this much people, and they want this much money in total to keep operating month after month, or year after year, I should say. This is like their yearly, like, and this is actually low. Their costs are way higher than this because they posted a $415 million loss last year. So clearly their overhead cost and cost for employment is probably much higher than this. I just want you guys to understand it's not as black and white as this is the bad guy, this is the good guy. It's not that black and white. Sometimes the artist is the reason that the game fails, more so maybe than the business guy. If the artist didn't come up with a good enough idea or implementation of that idea, then it doesn't matter how well the business guy monetizes it, right? Because he's working with a faulty product or art that doesn't work, right? But if an artist also in the same token creates an amazing game, like a hundred out of a hundred gaming experience, but he doesn't know how to sell it, it doesn't matter because nobody's buying it. Nobody, nobody's making money off of it. And, and there's many games on the Death of a Game series that we cover that are great games. I would even argue great games that just don't cut it or don't make it. And it's because the business didn't make sense, right? They, they monetized too late. They scaled up too much. They took on too much debt. Their overhead is too high. 
A lot of shit that goes into that, right? Growing slowly is greater than burning up in flames. And, and that's my opinion too. And why do people grow or don't want to grow slowly? I can tell you from somebody who's not wanted to grow slowly personally with my YouTube channel before. It's because we're kind of brainwashed here that driving towards the ultimate all end in profit is the way to go. You're just like, just keep going towards that never ending profit margin, except it does end, right? Because in a world of finite resources, infinite profit is impossible. It's impossible. Unless we can find a way to create renewable resources, right? Like if we can find a way to create these non-renewable resources, I should say, and not in the earth in some way, it's finite. We're going to run out of uh, resources. I hate the mentality that we should just be driven to absolute profit just because we should just always scale towards being a large company. You don't have to always be a large company. This is actually a big revelation in the world of MMOs. All of this stuff I'm talking about, the whole relationship between the A guy and the B guy, the business guy versus the artist guy, it's not easy to get a good relationship between these two guys. Sometimes you can find someone that loves the art and the business, like me, but that's pretty rare to find somebody who's interested in both. Usually, at least in my circles, you're interested in one or you're interested in the uh, other one. I know programmers who don't give a fuck what their game makes in money, right? As long as they get to work on the game. Whereas I know business guys who are like, Hey, um, I don't know if I really care to give us a 7 out of 10 versus a 6 out of 10 if it means we made more money with a 6 out of 10, right? And so it just depends kind of like uh, your, your personal perspective, um, your artist perspective, your business perspective. But you need both the artist and the business to make a good MMO. Where this all gets interesting, the whole idea with scale, is why do MMOs nowadays, why aren't they just popping up and cropping up left and right? Like they were in the 2007 through 2012 period. The answer is, is because many of these companies tried to scale up in the same way, right? They scaled up immediately. They had massive workforces, 300-person teams, 400-person um, teams. They, they had budgets in the, in the realm of 200 million, right? We're talking about SWOTOR. We're talking about Wildstar had 400 people. Wildstar was worked on for seven years, guys. Seven years. I'm talking about these games were popping up left and right, but it didn't mean they just came out of nowhere, they were already being worked on for a number of years up until that point. And so when they launched after four or five years, which is a massive gamble, and they couldn't satisfy their audience to the level that their business required them to satisfy them, that's kind of why they ultimately fail, right? Like, you think about it, and people ask me this sometimes, how come there's still MMOs to this day that still exist? How come they're not shut down? Like, you do Death of a Game videos on these games, but how come these other really old games like Ryzen or like um, MapleStory 1, how come they still exist? Why do these old games still exist? Ragnarok, why do these games still exist? When they're not actually live anymore, well, MapleStory is, but I don't think Ragnarok is. And the reason is, is because what's the overhead for a tiny company who's designing Ryzen, right? What's the overhead for the tiny company that's working on Final Fantasy XI, like someone just brought up in chat? Like the overhead's probably much smaller compared to a company who's the company who's working on Elder Scrolls Online or the company who's working on uh, Blizzard's games, right? Or, or sorry, um, WoW, right? You, you see what I'm saying? I'm making it a point to talk about the overhead because, like Ulysses said, that's what d dictates your level of success or what your level of success needs to be. So if you're out the gate and you're like Swotor, right, where you have two hundred plus million dollars on the line five years of development, you literally, guys, 
You gave up your company to make the game. That was the scale that Bioware played at. Right? And they lost. They lost all of that. They lost their company to EA because of that. They didn't become the big blockbuster success they were intending to be. They didn't end up being KOTOR 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all whatever the fuck else, right? Whatever standards the, that was, right? They, they didn't satisfy a lot of what they promised. But is it necessarily their fault in the sense that you guys just made a shit game? No, there's some great parts about SWOTOR, as I've talked about before. But when you've got 200 plus million dollars on the line, it kind of has to be better than just good. And that's my problem, and I've mentioned this many times, is when SWOTOR came out as a subscription-based MMO, and it had nearly 2 million subscribers, the reason why I define it as a dead game is because in just one year, it lost over 75% of that. <laughs> so it's like, imagine you create a game, you've spent five years, you sell the rights to your company. The reason why Bioware got in business with EA, guys, does anybody want to know, or does anyone want to guess? If you've watched my video on Warhammer Online or SWOTOR, or you guys watch any of my shit, I'm just curious. Does anybody know what price here Bioware paid for doing SWOTOR? Does anyone want to just talk about that conversation? It's not a nice conversation to have, but there is a pretty big price. They paid a massive price. And while people were just looking at it from the surface and seeing, yeah, but SWOTOR still exists. It, it has a new expansion coming out. Guys, read between the lines. If you want to call a barely a content update and expansion, by all means do that. What I want to do is I want to look at a game that basically was supposed to be the next MMO, the next big MMO, the one that Bioware risked their fucking company on. <laughs> they literally gave up their company because of this game. And you look at what it offers them now in terms of revenue and the attention it gets, it doesn't even have its own section of EA's financials. I don't know why people don't understand this shit. And maybe it's just because the people who talk to me about SWOTOR are just making emotional arguments. They're just saying, yeah, but the game technically is still alive. So it's alive and well. It's like, but they're progressively making less money. Do you not understand what the future means if that's the case? If they have all of this overhead, which EA does, and they did lay off a fuck ton of people, if you guys remember. How is SWOTOR going to function with such a small team? Well, that's what maintenance mode is for. Where your small team comes together and says, hey, let's just continue to drop out maybe little breadcrumbs of content here and there, or no content and just keep live service uh, going. Right now, SWOTOR isn't in maintenance mode. It does have new content coming out. But you see how I take the time to explain the whole thought process to you? If I could ask you guys right now, would you give up your company of Bioware of 10 plus years at that time that SWOTOR was coming out for the promise of like, maybe a little bit breaking even or the promise of having a MMO that is going to exist essentially in a smaller scale than Star Wars Galaxies, which came out in 2003, which is 16 years old. Would you be happy if your game had less impact and currently is impacting less than a game that's like 16 years old? Me personally, I would see that as a failure. And that's why I see SWOTOR as a failure, because commercially it was a failure, because artistically it was a failure, because MMO-wise it was a failure. And it's not to say that it's because the game itself is so bad. It's to say that if you have two, $300 million on the line, 
a massive company backing you in EA that's acquired you and made you move in with their offices and create these other big massive because uh, e- what EA did is they created a mega MMO company. It was Bioware Mythic. And so whenever they acquired Mythic for Warhammer Online, which by the way, if you guys don't know, Mythic Entertainment gave up their company to make Warhammer Online. So after that happened and Warhammer Online and, and you know, uh, Mythic was acquired, well, they thought the same thing with Bioware. Why not just acquire Bioware? Let's do SWOTOR. We'll give them the funding. They combined those two companies together. It became Bioware Mythic or Mythic Bioware, right? Th- those companies became together. You started to see that the Bioware devs work on Warhammer Online and some Warhammer devs work on Bioware's games, uh, or more specifically, SWOTOR. But when they made that, that, that combination of those two together, um, it was the inclination or the, the, the idea behind it and I read the article, of course. I remember them talking about it. Um, the idea was that they wanted to create a new base of, like, MMO, right? Like, this is the MMO super company of sorts. That was the idea. We have Warhammer. We have SWOTOR. And we're going to get more and more MMOs. That was kind of the idea. That didn't really happen. In fact, most of the founding members of Bioware have already left. And in the case of Mythic, I mean, obviously, that company doesn't even exist anymore. So, all of this scale... All of that overhead, the cost required, and that support from EA, and that money, it came with a pretty big price. And that price ended up in both companies being acquired, and in the case of Mythic and Warhammer, those getting shut down and and tanked. And now you have SWOTOR operating in some sort of pseudo-existence where people are still basically defending the game. And while I can understand why you would defend the game in the perspective that you enjoy the game, why are you defending the game when you're getting basically fucked over by the company who's making the game? And my, my explanation for that is at what point do we look at expansions and start to hold them accountable for what an expansion originally was meant to be? An expansion originally, if you want to look at original expansions that came out, they offered years of content, if you want to take that into consideration. Because some expansions took two to three years to make. So you could have a full year of content, right, to play out. But these days, you can just call something an expansion, say that it gives you a new zone, and maybe some new quest lines, and people will gobble this shit up, man. It is just insane to me. (laughs) We're ranting at this point, but it is just insane to me what people will buy as an expansion, when it's just kind of like, at one point, this model was subscription-based, which meant that the content trickle was promised. Now that's no longer the case. You've changed the model to be free-to-play. You've taken a lot of the convenience out in order to monetize it, and yet you still want me to pay full price for expansions and pay a sub-fee because of all the other convenience factors? This kind of goes back to my business model argument that I was talking about earlier. I'm working on this video. I hope you guys enjoy it, by the way. But at first glance, you think the free-to-play business model is the worst of the business models, right? Don't most of you think that? I would probably argue I see a lot of people talk about free-to-play, pay-to-win. They always talk about that as the worst business model. But how come games like SWOTOR and Elder Scrolls don't get more shit? When they have every business model. It's like Thanos decided to just collect the fucking, the gauntlet of monetization. Like you've got everything. You've got every kind of monetization. And so that's where I take issues with things like Onslaught, the recent SWOTOR expansion. It's like, when are you guys going to realize you're being milked? And you're being milked with nothing planned in the future. 
And what I mean by nothing planned, I mean nothing of significance. If Onslaught as a content update or expansion is enough to keep you interested as a SWOTOR fan, I don't know what else to tell you. Them probably releasing the same content with another difficulty mode will probably get you excited. So maybe that's just your game and you're meant to be taken advantage of by that publisher. Why does it sound like I always imply that that publisher is taking advantage of you if you're complicit? The reason is is that people don't just defend the game as I mentioned, they defend the business. They say it is an expansion. It is putting out new expansions. It is alive and well. It's doing fine. These are objective statements that you can actually measure. That's why I always give people shit when they say that, right? If they just said, hey, I like SWOTOR, man. I appreciate your video or don't, but I like SWOTOR. So take that with, with that what you will. But they also try and make like general claims or, or true statements where it's like uh, SWOTOR is alive and well. It's like, alive and well? What does that mean? How do you go from having your own financial section, which has to be publicly disclosed, legally, to not having your own section? Do you guys understand why a big company or corporation like EA would no longer give you your own section in their financials when previously, since inception, you had your own section in its entirety, right? Why would EA get rid of SWOTOR's financial section? Anybody have any ideas? Maybe because they didn't like the numbers that it was showing, right? And this is all described in my SWOTOR video. It's just really like, at the end of the day, you have to separate an art discussion from a business discussion, at least on the surface, right? You have to, you have to uh, keep those, or sorry, not on the surface, but at the core of it. You have to keep them separate because this long-winded discussion that I'm having right now, I'm having essentially a different argument than many other people are having, right? They're having an art argument. I'm having a business argument, and yet they think they're having the same argument. That's kind of the problem, and that's why I like to explain how these things work. And um, somebody in chat asked, what does Onslaught come with? Let's talk about that, because I love to, to work through this kind of stuff together, right? All right, here's Swotorista, who's, you know, Basically, one of the SWOTOR channels that does almost exclusively that kind of content and supports their loot boxes, which I'm sorry, I just can't support that. I know you SWOTOR YouTubers don't really like me. I don't really care. I don't care about any MMO or any content creator or any developer or company that supports bad shit. I don't care about any of that. I don't support that shit. So whether or not you think that I'm being mean about SWOTOR, stop buying fucking loot boxes. That's my argument. Same thing with Outer Scrolls. Why do I complain about the business model? What do you guys think? Just out of curiosity. Why do I complain about Swartor's business model? Why do I complain about, um, uh, sorry, uh, Black Desert Online's business model? Elder Scrolls Online's business model. Why do I complain about these? Because I don't think they're giving you what you're worth. I, you're not getting your bang for your buck on what you spend. And not to mention, you go in with so many false promises and, and, and premises, let me elaborate. So you go into the idea of buying Elder Scrolls Online like, oh shit, how much does Elder Scrolls Online cost? Elder Scrolls Online, oh, sweet. I gotta go buy the expansion or buy the new game, okay. So I can get the base game for free, but now if I wanna play the expansion content, I've gotta buy the expansion. And after I buy the expansion, it's like, okay, well, I own the expansion, but I'm not a sub, which means I'm not getting all the XP boosts, which means I'm not getting all of the convenience factors. So now I need to go to the shop and join ESO Plus. 
right? Boom. Look at that. I get DLC game packs. I get uh, unlimited storage, crowns per month, double bank space, hundred or sorry, ten percent increase to golden experience, ten percent to crafting inspiration, double furnishings. I get all of these bonuses, right? And look at what I don't get if I'm not that. I don't get the DLC game packs. I don't get free crowns every month. I don't get the extra uh, bank space. I'm basically penalized in every single uh, convenient factor, right? So now they've taken me for 50 bucks or 40 bucks, right? They've taken me for 40 bucks. 40 or 50 bucks, and I don't even know if I'm, let's say 50. I don't even know how many hours of enjoyment I'm gonna get out of this game. But now I've spent 50 bucks. <clears throat> More tax, 55 bucks. And now I just spent, uh, I don't know, what, what is it, $10 they, they charge, right? $15. Now I'm, now I'm charged $15 if I want these convenience factors. And uh, again, please do not, anybody in chat make the argument, but you don't need it, because I will, like, go insane if people make that argument. <laughs> I hate when people say that dumb shit. <clears throat> but you don't need it. How is it pay to win? <laughs> then you go to the crown store. <clears throat> Doesn't stop there, right? If you'd like some instant research for your crafting, why not buy it with crowns, right? Hey, why not come down here to the special offers? Why not buy some starter packs, right? Some crown crates, some loot boxes, my friends. I mean, if I'm gonna want like a certain kind of costume that I can't get any other way, this is kind of the only way I can get it. Or maybe I come down here and I wanna buy like specific DLC quests. The point being is like, look at all of this shit that's monetized. Does anybody think this is fair? I know we don't like to have conversations about fairness because most people have been fucked over for so long in the MMO industry. They're kind of used to it. But at what point do they stop? At what point can I as a consumer say, hey man, like, when is enough enough? You've taken my 70 bucks. What else do you fucking want? You want my loot boxes too? My loot box money? You want my crafting XP? You, you want all of these other things for me to spend money on? What if I want to be a crafter? What if I want to collect some things? Well, next thing you know, I'm spending way more money. Let's say I spend $30 on the cash shop, which is not out of the question. That's very low. So now I've spent $100. I don't even know if I'm going to keep playing the game, but now I'm $100 deep. Like Panada just said, I'm $100 deep. How do I stop? Now I'm too invested. $100 and I've only played the game for 20 hours? I'm not going to quit at $20 or sorry, uh, 20 hours of enjoyment out of a hundred. That's $5 an hour. I want more. I'm going to keep playing, but am I playing without putting in more money? Ah, now you guys are understanding the genius of it, right? Now, as my playtime goes up, I can even make them more money instead of the subscription model where I'm just sold on the promise of new content coming out. Now I get the promise of new content where I have to pay for it pay for it monthly, pay for the content in the cash shop, and on top of all of that, I still get sold loot boxes in my game and I'm supposed to be happy about it and grateful because they need it to make money, right? Right? Fuck that shit. That's my opinion. Fuck that shit. That's bad business. I don't think that's good business. I don't like bad business, so I don't want to get involved in bad business. That's why I don't like playing the games with the like, am I going to play Elder Scrolls at some point? Yes, because I'm going to do a review on it. Surprise. You guys know that already. I'm doing one on most popular MMOs right now at some point. I'm going to do a review on it. But you bet your damn ass that a good portion of my review, 25% of it, 
is going to be dedicated in these games to talking about their bullshit uh, business strategies. And let's talk about Black Desert Online, man, because like this is one of those arguments that really just drives me fucking mad. It drives me up the wall. In the case of Elder Scrolls, in the case of um, uh, what's the other example we used? Uh, I can't remember. But anyway, in the case case of Elder Scrolls, it's not horrible, right? At least it's not just like egregious, right? It's not that bad. That's what people start to say. They're like, oh, it's not that bad. So, you know, come on. Like, I've only spent $30. So why do you need to spend more? I haven't spent that much money. So what's the problem here, man? You spent $100 or thousands of dollars. But why is that my problem? That's what people say, right? That's not an argument. It's kind of like saying, hey, um, when I go gamble, I don't spend lots of money. So why is gambling illegal in places? Why do they regulate it? Why is it only in Vegas in certain places and casinos? It's like, because it leads to very, very, very bad habits. And it leads to people ruining their life and spending all of their money. Like... It's so crazy that I'm arguing with literal addicts that don't get that they're getting IV'd by these developers and publishers and they think they're getting a good deal out of it. That's where I take issue. That's where I complain, right? That's where I start to to get annoyed. Is that if it was one thing, and by the way, many people in my Discord currently right now play MMOs that I've talked uh, crap about. Like their business model or whatever else. You can right now look at the, the playlist and see people play these games. In fact, people right now who are listening to me actually support uh, some of these games. And yet, what's the difference that I'm trying to make here? What's, the, what's, the, um, what's my issue with these other group of people? My issue with that group of people is that you don't have to play the game and support their business decisions. You don't have to do that. I know, it's fucking crazy. This shit makes me rant, dude. But I just can't help it. You don't need to support their shitty business practices to play their game. So why the fuck are you guys defending them? And I'm not saying you guys in chat, but this is my my message to the people who love defending games with these really bad business strategies or or, or models that when I say bad, I mean in the, in the perspective of the consumer, okay? Don't put up with that shit. Stop putting up with that shit. And that's the thing, Retskis. People like Shroud are the fucking problem, dude. I don't buy loot boxes. I won't buy loot boxes. I will never buy loot boxes. Why don't I buy loot boxes? Because if you buy loot boxes and you buy them in a MMO, all you're doing is supporting more fucking people selling loot boxes. So look, I don't know Shroud personally. Maybe he's the greatest guy ever, right? I don't know him. But come on, dude. Like... It's, e it's so easy for you to not give a fuck, but all you're doing is showing your giant, massive audience that that's cool, right? Let's just buy more loot boxes. Let's just spend lots of money. I don't want loot boxes in, in my MMO, and I'll never stop complaining about that shit. So if you guys believe in that kind of shit too, then yeah, maybe you're in the right place. Maybe you should support me. Maybe, maybe we should continue to be friends, right? Because like whether or not I'm involved in making a MMO in the future, consulting on one, or people want me to review one, or do a sponsored video, I don't give a fuck what the scenario is. If your game has a loot box, I'm not buying it. I don't support it. Fuck that shit. Now, my issue with loot box is to describe it in, in you know more simple, a simpler context for MMOs. I'm not going to talk about why loot boxes are bad. That gets talked about way too much. I'm going to talk about why they're bad in MMOs. 
They're bad in MMOs because costume and gear progression is a fucking massive part of an MMO. Having a cash shop where you can just buy all of that shit and it gives you power is not good. It ruins a lot of the, the effort and time you put into your game. And it ruins it for everybody else. And this is the thing that I was looking for actually was my Black Desert Online video. If I could read to you guys some of the comments that I get in this video, it will make you guys understand why the market's fucked up in the first place. The reason why I complain about this, and I can see from some of your perspectives, you're like, why are you ranting at us? We believe you. We understand. It's not that I'm ranting at you guys. It's that I'm ranting that if this shit doesn't get fixed by the community, us, right? If we don't nip this shit in the bud, people are going to keep supporting these shitty ass business practices <clears throat> and they're going to keep getting away with it. Black Desert Online's case. I get shit like this all the time. It's like, you scroll bad and it's like, um, here we go. Let's read some of these beautiful comments where people literally like support the decisions. It's, it's fucking strange. Like this guy. Let's talk about competitive. I have to spend a hundred bucks or so on the cash shop. And then he talks about how he's, how he has to spend a lot of money on WoW because WoW, uh, WoW pays a subscription fee. He says, compare that to the over two grand I pumped into my time with World of Warcraft. Are you honestly comparing the two fucking games, dude? Look, I don't like theme park uh, games like the, like the rest of y'all, okay? Most of you, us here, we don't like theme park games because of it's been talked about enough. And I've made videos about it, right? They come with a lot of problems. But in what fucking universe does WoW have less content than Black Desert Online? In what fucking universe? But Black Desert Online is a sandbox. No, it isn't, dude. It's not a sandbox. Maybe a sand park. Please describe to me how it's a sandbox. WoW had way more content, dude. If you're going to tell me from an investment perspective, and remember, I'm the business guy who also covers MMOs. If you're going to ask me, maybe I'm just too biased, right? But if you're going to ask me, which investment would I rather trust in, two grand into WoW or two grand into Black Desert Online? Every single time I'm going to say two grand into WoW. You want to know why? Because let's fucking do the math, right? If $2,000 is how much money you spent on WoW, right? Let's divide that by $15 a month. That means that I get 133 months of fucking gameplay. But if I play, um, let's say four or 20 hours or 10, 15 hours a week, that's pretty low, but let's say 15 hours a week times four. I've put 8,000 hours into the game. $2,000 fucking dollars for $8,000? Are you kidding me? Like, this is an insane investment. You're telling me I could pay two grand and get 8,000 hours of enjoyment? That's what a computer is, basically. You buy a fucking new computer, you get that level of enjoyment. That's my thing is I just, I don't, I don't get this shit, man. To go back to what I'm talking about with the cash shop, why can the cash shop be worse? Because there are people who spend way more than $2,000 on it. Do you not understand that if the ceiling doesn't exist, it doesn't matter what people do at the floor. Because the ceiling doesn't exist. Do you, so let me, let me break that down. It's, some conceptual concepts are kind of hard to explain. But like the ceiling in a subscription-based MMO is $15 and maybe a transfer fee, right? Server transfers, name transfers. $15 is your cap, right? $15. We talk about this. So if you've got 100k people, you make that much money a month, right? But what if you have 150k people, or sorry, 100k people, and only a tenth of them, which is, let's say, 10,000 people, 
spend twenty dollars. It's not it's not as appealing. But what if let me go back to how many people was that again? Um let's say ten thousand people. But now let's let's get some free to play numbers going on here. Let's say my whales can make me about 150 each. Y'all notice anything here? 10,000 people paying $150 makes me 1.5 million. Fifth, or uh, 100,000 people spending $15 makes me $1.5 million. So that's why they like this Mrs. Model better. Because there's no ceiling. So in a game like uh, Black Desert Online... What I mean by no ceiling is that if I right now had $10,000 and I put $10,000 into the game, I can get a fuck ton of value out of it. I can get a fuck ton of value out of it. It'll give me a massive advantage. There's no argument there. That's pay to win. <clears throat> How does somebody putting in $10,000 or $1,000 in a cash shop affect the other players, right? Let's talk about Arcage and Black Desert Online together. Why does it matter so much, right? Why do I always complain that people spend so much money, that there are whales, that these business strategies take advantage of people, essentially making arguments for them, which is that I don't spend very much money on the game. Yeah, but you're just one person. Your statistic doesn't matter that much. That's just the truth. I just proved the math right there. What they care about is the guy who spends $150. And so why does it matter if a guy drops a couple grand on the game? Well, I'll tell you the simplest reasons. Because they can get advantages that you can otherwise not get by spending that amount of money. And they can get them much quicker. So if money isn't an issue for a player, why not just spend more money on your game? Seriously, I know it's a weird concept for many of us people who you know, grew up poor or we never had money. But if you told me that I can spend money on my game and I have that money to spend and that money will make my character have a big advantage, why would I not spend the money? If it's enjoyable to me, right? You see the problem? The problem is, is that because the money's not a problem to me, I'll spend the money because my level of enjoyment costs a different amount if I'm the rich person in this case, right? Then maybe the poor person who's like, dude, I spent 10 bucks on this game. That's too much for me, right? I spend 15 bucks a month. That's too much for me. And yet you guys want to go play free-to-play games? I'm hearing complaints about paying monthly fees and you guys want to pay 150 bucks instead? Or like the bare minimum for a competitive player in Black Desert Online, as I analyzed, is 250 players? Or sorry, $250? <clears throat> and remember when I said it gets problematic for me and I rant about it because people make arguments for the business? Look at what this guy says here. Traveler's package is a piece of shit, by the way. The traveler's package in the game is how you trade with other people. So let me, let me say that again. As painfully slow as possible. A traveler's package, which is required on a monthly basis, which is basically a sub-fee, is required for trading in the MMO. So how is it a piece of shit? That's your opinion, buddy. Most MMOs need to trade, right? Wouldn't you agree? A massive multiplayer online game needs to trade. Or maybe join a guild. Right? So you do kind of need the traveler's pack. You don't technically need it, which is the stupid-ass argument people are making here. You don't technically need it. But if you don't have it, you don't trade. Right? You don't have access to guilds. 
you, you uh the traveler's package gives you a lot of uh bonuses <clears throat> i'll read them out uh let's see if i can find a breakdown um let's see All right, here we go. I found it. All right, so a traveler's package. Oh, no. Sorry, I found it on Steam. It doesn't say what it does on Steam. Uh, New players. I might have to go pull up my own video, actually. To actually be competitive. Engines, engines that have it. Because you can't on it, I could see their... That's pretty oh, funny when you have to go look at your own videos. MMO whenever I pitch a transaction monthly fee. Except instead of just $15 a month, it can be far, far more depending on the type of whale or the aspirations of the player. If you want to be competitive in a game that the end game is based around PvP, you're going to have to spend money or prepare to be killed over and over again. Want to play the game. To not support the hmm. shop, which is not entirely unheard of. Here we go, the value packs. Alright. So a value pack comes with a... Um, Max weight limit increase comes with storage expansion of 16 slots increase, inventory slots 16 plus. It comes with 10% XP, life, skill, and combat experience. It comes with um, extra energy. It comes with uh, unlimited use of different like cosmetic stuff, 10% bonus to sales collections amount on the marketplace, um, the use of the marketplace. I, I don't know why it doesn't specify that because I know it allows you to use the marketplace. So a value pack, travel pack. These things are giving you essentially like basic aspects of the game. Now the, the value pack um, itself, you can buy with in-game credits. Uh, sorry, the traveler's package and the value pack you can buy in-game. Um, and so that's the argument people use as it not being a pay-to-win item. Is that because you can earn it through credits in-game, it's not pay-to-win. So when I bring up that, hey, you need this shit to, cha uh, to trade, you can use the marketplace without the pack. That must be something new that they changed then, because that wasn't always the case, Pin Zero. Because, like, I did this video in 2019, March. This wasn't the case then. So unless they've changed that recently, that was not the case at the time of this video. The Traveler's Pack in BDO is like ESO Plus, and exactly. That's what I'm trying to say, Secretarius, is that they essentially design it in a way um, where it doesn't seem like a sub, and yet you're having to buy it on a regular basis. Would anybody argue before when you needed it to trade or for a marketplace that it was not like required? Most people are going to say that it's required. Now, the, the problem with the packs is like uh, Pinzero just said. If a player, a pay-to-win player can buy packs and then sell them on the store, the hilarious part is that the person saying, hey, but you can buy it on the store is actually part of the problem. They don't even understand it. But they're fucking part of the problem. Do you understand what I'm saying here? They are the person who's buying the packs from the person who's getting them by spending money. And you said that it's not pay to win. But you're paying the person who paid lots of money to win. You're giving them a win. Do you not understand that? Like, you're giving them the money in game, right? They're getting the benefits. It's just hilarious that you'll see so much slimy shit like that. Like, oh, the Traveler's Pack can be bought in-game. Is it really pay to win? Huh? Yeah. What do you think the fucking rich players are buying? The, the guys with lots of money.
they're buying the packs and selling them to the free-to-play player players. This happens in other games too. Plex systems, games that have Plex systems, they kind of work the same way. The people with lots of money buy them so they can make fuck tons of money in the game. This is not a new concept. I'm glad that they changed the value packs though, because that's at least like a fucking place to start. That being said, if grinding is the major focus in Black Desert Online, it is, you're still going to need the travel pack. Uh, and the reason for that is that you get that 10% XP boost. But wait a minute, there's more. You need your pets. You get your five total pets, right? And each of those give you an XP boost as well. Five's your total that you can max out at, I believe, right? I believe five pets is what you can max out at. Five pets, traveler's pack, buy the game, costumes possibly like camouflage and things of that nature. It, it just gets so crazy so quickly. You go from buying a $10 game to spending hundreds of dollars and thinking that because you're getting a certain amount of time enjoyment out of it, it's equivalent to getting that same level of time enjoyment out of another game, say, for example, one that doesn't have such an egregious business model. But it, it doesn't work that way because MMOs are massive multiplayer online games. So if you don't have a cost ceiling and to bring up Arcage, which, by the way, is actually probably a worse example of Black Desert Online in terms of monetization, because Black Desert Online has changed a lot of its shit. In fact, it does shit, gets in trouble, then changes it. It does it pretty frequently. And actually, I would say <laughs> a lot of those games do, but Arcage was probably worse. And I say it's worse because, you know, while Black Desert Online certainly had set uh, bonuses for crafting, it gives you a lot of bonuses for spending money in the cash shop. It wasn't giving you Thunderwood, which is like what you could get in Arcage, which is like a rare resource where you could basically re-engineer your gear for better gear. So it was like a slot machine in a way. You put your armor piece in, it pops out potentially a better piece. So I will admit that Arcage's system is much worse. But, I mean, we're splitting hairs here because I think both systems, monetarily speaking, are shit. <clears throat> and um, that's just my opinion. Um, I'm sure that there are people who can make not spending money in Black Desert Online work. And I applaud you guys for doing that. But one thing that you guys can't debate and can't deny is that even if that's the case for you, it's not the case for everybody else. And that no matter what your opinion is, if a model does exist in where a whale can take advantage of it, they will, they do, and that's what happens. Whether or not you think it affects you or not, sorry, it does. It's pretty naive for you to think that it doesn't affect you. It's no different than buying gold through a third party. Uh, yeah, pretty much. What do you think about Guild Wars 2? Um, I made a video about Guild Wars 2, but I'm going to do a review on it on some point as well. Are you talking about its business model? I mean, Guild Wars 2's business model, hilariously, is one of the more fair ones. And that's exactly why NCSoft is trying to look for a way to kind of either monetize them more or get rid of them. Because, like, straight up, we've talked about it on the podcast before, so I won't go over it terribly. We've looked at the financials. Guild Wars 2 doesn't make them a lot of money. NCSoft, it doesn't make them a lot of money. And the reason for that is it's a Western product, first and foremost. So it's got a lot of other, you know, reasons that it doesn't make them the same kind of money it makes in their local Korean market. But on top of that, the cash shop isn't very egregious. And so you can buy to play the game, not pay a sub fee, and then buy things in the game. So it's almost like because the game is fair due to the stature of the game and who it comes from, a, the biggest MMO publisher ever, 
That's why it's not doing well. But it doesn't really have anything to do with the business model in, in terms of like the consumer. The business model for the consumer has had no issues yet. I don't think Guild Wars 2's issues is the business model for the consumer. I think the consumer issues are more so they don't even know what their vision is anymore. And they don't have the resources to keep up with the content that they need to in order to keep the game coming, you know, keep it fresh. They've admitted this already. It's not news that ArenaNet has laid off fuck tons of people and that they've basically had to cancel a bunch of projects and say that we're going to have to scale down how much uh, content we put into Guild Wars 2. All of that is because they were told by NCSoft, you guys aren't making enough money. So this goes back to what I'm saying. From a consumer perspective, Guild Wars 2's business model is great. From a developer perspective, it's great. From a publisher or a money-making perspective, has it been the best for NCSoft and the stature and nature of their company and all that massive overhead and the fact that it's an overseas you know, MMO? <sighs> that adds up, right? All of that shit adds up. And that's why I tell you guys, if you don't think business models affect everybody, you're just delusional. Because Guild Wars 2's business model is going to affect everybody. And I hope it doesn't get shut down because of that. But it's beginning to be hard to see it going any other way because that kind of game is designed around big massive consumable content which is the most expensive content period and that's a quote from raf coster <laughs> that that kind of content is the most expensive content guild wars 2 is basically that artist businessman situation again yeah in a way it is and i think that's also because of the way that guild wars 2 was designed to be honest I think that the way it was designed, in part, is why it has so many monetization problems from NCSoft's perspective, because they can't just change it to free-to-play so easily, because then they'd have to kind of rework a lot of aspects of the game. Why doesn't Guild Wars 2 work free-to-play in the same way that maybe Black Desert Online, or sorry, actually a better example would be, say, for example, uh, Elder Scrolls, because now you can get the base game for free. Why doesn't it work in the same way that those games work? It's just because you... The economy isn't as driven in, in Guild Wars 2. And what I mean by that is that in-game in Guild Wars 2 is just having fun. It's grouping with people. It's collecting costumes and outfits and things of that nature, right? It's looking cool. It's not really about creating this deep economy of, like, different working, moving parts like in RuneScape and selling lobsters and 1K skimmies and all that kind of stuff. It's not really about that kind of game. So I, I think that because the economy isn't a bigger part of the game, that's a big reason why it doesn't monetize as well. Um, I believe you can buy gold, but I mean, you're, you can't really buy like powerful items with that gold. So it's, it's an economy, but it's not a true economy in the sense that in Black Desert Online or, you know, whatever else. Like, remember, we talked about the trade packs. Somebody can buy a trade pack with money and sell it on the store. So they're like pretty inexplicably linked. And that's because that's how Koreans do it. It works that way. When you keep them that close together linked, you make a lot more money. Still trying to figure out why they went with Unchained. Uh, Arcage? I don't know, dude. Why, what is with Unchained? Like, I've seen a couple MMOs do the whole Unchained thing. I don't... I don't know, man. I would have just called it, like, Arcage fucking second chance. <laughs> Except it's, like, the seventh chance. Uh, they should have called it Arcage, the seventh version. I mean, in a way, I guess they're kind of in a rock and a hard place. They can call it as many cool names as they want, but people are gonna still going to be like, uh, it's still Arcage. It's already failed a bunch of times. Don't rename it to a bunch of other random ass names. Arcage, but less restrictive. There you go. Arcage, except no crazy business model. 
But isn't the base game these days free? Uh, Sacraladius? Can't you play the, the base game for free? Because I know that there is a trial in... Uh, I didn't even like it for Camelot's reboot. Because, like, when I just covered Elder Scrolls Online, and I was just on the website, they were talking about playing the game for free. And I know that that doesn't mean their new content uh, is free, of course. That's stuff you still have to buy and, and sub for. Okay, so the, and the base game in Guild Wars 2 and the first expansion is free now. Elsewhere, if I remember correctly, if you buy the Elder Scrolls expansion of Elsewhere, you also get the base game, Morrowind, Somerset, and Elsewhere. Um, so technically, yeah, I guess in a way, it, you can say that the base game's free, or you can kind of say that it's included with the next expansion. I mean, you don't need to buy the expansion to play the base game, so I think that's fair to say the base game's free, right? I think that was a, a fair statement. Uh, what else are we supposed to cover today, man? We just went all over the place. And I don't, I don't blame us, man. There's a lot of shit to talk about. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to, to talk a little bit about uh, the gameplay I saw. Dragon Ball Z's uh, open world game, Kakarot's. Um, I think this is a really cool concept, and I know many of you might not necessarily be interested in it. But if you're wondering why I'm interested in it, I have always wondered why Dragon Ball Z hasn't made a bigger attempt at multiplayer content. Yes, they've been doing well with their Fighter Z game, and yes, they've had Budokai and many other games that are like multiplayer in the terms of co-op or you versus another person in a fighting game. But like, what if you could just fly around like this and traverse a world and do quests just like this? I mean, why doesn't Dragon Ball Z make a multiplayer online RPG? Right? We've talked about this many times. Japanese games are capable of it. Final Fantasy XIV does it. Swotor is doing it now, and well, that's not a Japanese game, but point being, other games are doing it as well. Why doesn't uh, the Japanese market take Dragon Ball Z and kind of do a similar idea with a multiplayer story kind of experience? And I know that the most recent um, DBZ game, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, did have some sort of co-op multiplayer function to it, and you could run around in a little dome, kind of like Global Agenda of sorts. I'm noticing that it's getting closer and closer to becoming some sort of multiplayer MMO kind of experience. Like you're seeing these games naturally kind of gravitate towards that. And I can't help but feel like a game like DBZ or really just anime style games are a perfect type of game to to be, uh, you know, prominent in the multiplayer online RPG market that kind of doesn't really exist yet because it technically isn't a coin term that I hear a lot. But it's one we talk about a lot with games that don't satisfy the massive multiplayer aspect of the MMO. They're not maybe necessarily persistent or even like you're not con connected to the same uh, realms. Uh, multiplayer online RPGs allow for that kind of like middle ground. And I don't know. I, I just wonder with DBZ and seeing games like this where they're attempting to do more open world games. Um, I wonder if they could pull off a lobby style multiplayer online RPG similar to how Final Fantasy XIV does it. I personally think they could. But I don't think they're as motivated, the Japanese market, sorry, is as motivated by MMOs as maybe we are, or maybe the Korean market is. That being said, this is just me talking about some fun stuff that it, we don't get to talk about theory crafting very often, but I think it could work. And I talked about it with Pokemon as well. I think both of those games could work in a MMO universe. I think they could. 
But I also think they could work in a multiplayer online RPG universe. So it just ends up like whichever version we end up seeing first, um, it'll be interesting. It's more likely that we're going to see the multiplayer online RPG just because MMOs are so hard to make. <laughs> but I look forward to more multiplayer online RPGs and hopefully we can get like anime versions of that. That'd be awesome. The Japanese market is huge on MMOs. Problem is there's only one main MMO, Fantasy Star Online. See, Fantasy Star Online falls in my uh, definition of what a multiplayer online RPG is. And I love Fantasy Star Online. I loved it on the Xbox back in the day. Haven't played it in ages, of course, but Fantasy Star 2 is coming to America, and I'm definitely going to play that at launch just because I want to try it out. I love trying MMOs. One of my favorite things to do. And I think that's kind of why you guys come to me is like, Compared to Asmongold, which is great for what it is, he's only going to really talk about WoW content and maybe every now and then talk about another game. I'm interested in MMOs, period, let alone if I'm interested in the IP or not. A good MMO to me, period, is interesting. I think games like uh, Fantasy Star, though, by Naruto, those can be the future of, of multiplayer online RPG experiences. Like, I think that's becoming a thing. I don't know, maybe I should make a video about that. I want to create that genre, not because I want to create it myself or come up with a name, but just because it seems to fit, right? We talk about it a lot, but these games we're talking about, a Fantasy Star Online, uh, Dragon Ball Z, uh, Pokemon, they all fun fall under the guise of they could be a multiplayer online RPG kind of experience where story's the focus, Co-op experiences are the focus. Maybe you even have group uh, dungeons and raids. In fact, I think one of the DBZ games has a raid in it. So I'm not even saying anything crazy. This shit is happening. These games are realizing we don't have to just pretend to be an MMO. We can just borrow parts from MMOs and put them into our games. And it's almost like we've been fucking saying this from the very beginning. Why make an MMO and then make an RPG? You're going to make it kind of shitty. Why not make, in this case, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot an open-world RPG kind of a game, or action game, and then give it multiplayer aspects, right? Co-op and things of that nature. Classic WoW killed it. Uh, what's your progress on Final Fantasy XIV? I have not moved since getting to Heavensward. So I need to hit max level in WoW first. That's just my goal. Um, Final Fantasy XIV... There's no rush at all. It's not a multiplayer. Uh, sorry, it's not an MMO for me. So I don't, I'm not worried about playing with my friends. I'm not worried about getting left behind by my friends. I'm not worried about not being able to do any of the content. None of that worries me. I could log on in a year in the future right now and still experience the exact same content I want to experience. That's a multiplayer online RPG to me. A, multi, a massive multiplayer online game, like in the case of uh, Classic WoW, if I stop playing in a year, guys, I don't fucking know where everyone's going to be when I come back. <laughs> and that's how it should be, at least for me, you know, in a MMO. If you're going to call it a MMO, I mean. Because, you know, I hate having that discussion about, oh, terminology, terminology. Let's just call them what they are, though. That's just my argument. Why don't we just call them what they are? Let's call games like this a multiplayer online RPG, and that's fine. No problems. You don't see me saying that as an insult. I like those games. But let's call them what they are. Would Pokemon Go count as an MMO? Hmm. It's an augmented reality game, right? L like, literally. It's, it's an augmented reality game. 
So it's not that far off from being considered an MMO just because virtual reality and augmented reality that step a little bit below that aren't too far from each other. I don't know. I find it hard to argue not. You stop playing for a year and you're going to have like five level 60 rogues camping your corpse at every zone. <laughs> yeah. Why is the persistent aspect of an MMORPG is being to is being to be the exception and not the rule? Oh man, um, because the the genre isn't really what it's billed to be anymore. Like in a nutshell, a guy came up with the term MMORPG, never fully explained what it meant. Everybody ran with it. It was used as just kind of like basic like nomenclature, just like basic terminology. And then other developers started to come out with MMOs that didn't really represent what the original idea of an MMO was. And yet those games still continue to get called MMOs. And so essentially what's happened now is the industry or the genre itself has been co-opted by games who don't even fit under the genre itself. They fit loosely under it, right? They have social elements in them. They have social features in them. They're massive in the sense that you can all connect to the same game, right? But they're not really the massive multiplayer online original idea of like what that definition meant. And that's why I think it's important like now and in the future, we start calling these games by their appropriate terms. And a game that's based on a lobby experience to me is not an MMO. And it wasn't back then. So why would it be now? You know what I'm saying? Like, why is it that when uh, terminology advances over the years, let's say over time, um, MMOs develop, why is it that we would let them develop worse out of the genre, meaning like not having the qualities that are required to be in the genre and then keep calling them the same genre? We, you wouldn't do that. And it's only a problem in the MMO market, I think, because it's both very hard to do, MMOs period, but also the aspect of what an MMO is, is the social world aspect. It's not the gameplay. It's not the running around on the screen part. We were doing that before we even had characters that could run around on screens. People were playing MUDs back in the day. Those were text-based experiences. How did they have the same experiences if they couldn't see their characters? Because it was about the multiplayer social experiences, not just the gameplay. But now it's becoming a lot more about gameplay, which I appreciate in some ways. Where I don't appreciate it is where it takes away from being an MMO. And that's my big gripe that I talk about a lot with Final Fantasy XIV and SWOTOR. Is their single-player, multiplayer, online RPG experiences take away from being an MMO? So my argument is, why even fucking try to be an MMO? Why not just be Fantasy Star Online? Why not just be this kind of game that functions in a way where you can hop on, play with people, meet people, make friends, that's possible, but it's not necessarily required. And it's also... You don't feel like you need to always be connected to the world. You can log off for weeks and then log back on and start playing. You don't feel like you lose a whole lot of progress and you're trying to catch up to anybody. My point being is like, when you call something an MMORPG, and those MMORPGs as a whole are made easier and easier to the point to where they no longer appeal to the original audience, that's my problem, right? My problem is people making arguments to me Say, for example, like, oh, well, um, when, when, you look at a, when you look at this given game, it's like, 
why why do you care so much about it being considered an MMO or not? It's essentially because if we want to consider a game like Final Fantasy XIV uh, an MMO, it means we have to change the definition. That's kind of my argument. If you change it, if you change the core of the game, you make it an MMO. I'm all I'm right there. Obviously, I don't have a problem with that. But how can you design a game to not need players consistently and not need them to be grouped together or meet each other and interact with each other socially on a community basis and then still call yourself an MMO? It's kind of like you think that the MMO part is just having multiplayer or you think that the MMO part is just doing a raid or just picking your class. You know what I'm saying? But that's the RPG part. The MMO part, the massive multiplayer online part, that's the amount of players you're playing with. That's how they interact with each other. That's how, they, um, that's how the game functions on a core basis. For example, when I log into my world, is my, is my world still exactly the same? Right? That's why many early theme park MMOs, like WoW Classic, I struggle to call um, a virtual world. Because although it might be considered an MMORPG, it's not really a virtual world. Because the world doesn't really live. Not in the truest sense. So, to go back to what I'm saying. If you took Final Fantasy XIV, you said, fuck trying to make it an MMO. Let's just make it a lobby-based game, like Guild Wars 1 was. Focus on making our lobby instance content as amazing-looking and awesome playing as possible. Can somebody please tell me an argument how that game would somehow be worse or make less money than the current version of the game? I just don't see an argument. I still haven't found an argument for that yet. In, in what way would it, I guess, be worse, you know? Like, I, I just, I can't see it. And um, until I do, you know, it's hard for me to, to make an argument against that. It's why MMOs need to be made, or it's why we need MMOs that are made by smaller studios. And, and that's a good point. That goes back to our discussion about scale. Scale matters a lot because, like, remember I talked to you guys about how I want to make my own little land gaming center, arcade kind of combination hangout spot where you guys can either watch me stream there, come hang out with me. Other YouTubers do brick and mortar places. It's not out of the question. But what if I was like, shit, dude, I'm going to do a Kickstarter, and I made like 150K, raised 150K on Kickstarter, and got a big-ass building, <clears throat> fucking 100K square feet, massive facility, hundreds of computers and arcades and everything. It's like this crazy gaming thing. And then all of a sudden, within a month, two, three, four, five, six, I'm like, well, we had a couple good months, but it's not sustainable. That's why small MMOs need to happen is a small company, if they, an indie company, if they had the ability to make an MMO, they don't give a fuck what the uh, main audience is interested in. Because the indie market is what drives innovation usually. The indie market, like Stardew Valley and games like that, they're the ones that say, hmm, this is a cool idea. Let's do this, right? right? Why not? And the next thing you know, it becomes great business. Like I said, good art creates great business. Becomes great business. And now everybody's doing it. Now everybody has a Stardew Valley in their game, right? It's crazy. And so it's like, do we need to make Stardew Valley at the grand massive scale? 
No, Stardew Valley didn't even do that. Neither did Minecraft. And these games are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So how do they still become mainstream uh, popular? Well, the games themselves are mainstream popular. <laughs> Farming and fucking doing shit like that and making uh, buildings and building stuff is kind of appealing to a lot of different people. But the reason why indie developers need to push the market forward in the MMO space is because we need somebody to come in like uh, Camelot Unchained and like games like that, Crowfall, these other games that are out there. I'm not saying they're gonna work yet, but we need places like that. We need companies like that to come in and say, you know what? In our game, we're gonna have a three faction system. Our game's gonna be based solely on PvP and crafting that comes from that and PvE that comes from that. That's Camelot Unchained's approach. That's pretty fucking bold. They're straight up telling you. Mark Jacobs is saying, this is what we're standing for. That's it. So you can be like, well, I don't want to play that game. PvP sucks. Don't play it. They don't want you to. They're not trying to force you to play it. Because you're not supposed to play every game. Just like you're not supposed to like everything. That's why I get so annoyed with these very popular mainstream MMOs. Is that their content or models are like all over the place. They have some PvP, some PvE, some raids, some this, some that. But they kind of do them all shit. Like, what current game right now that's releasing new content is putting out, like, amazing raid content? Like, wow, the raids are amazing. Like, back in Wrath. Right? Are people still talking about raids like they did back in Wrath? Back in fucking, um, TBC? Like, Kata? Like, not really. And I think that's because raids are kind of boring, right? And then, like Mr. Nylon said, then you look at games like Final Fantasy XIV, and they're like, hey, we got PvP. Woohoo, come on, come play PvP. No, don't go play PvP there. That's not what the game's for, and it's not very good. So stop trying to appeal to everybody and just appeal to your main audience. It's funny, guys. I'm the person who used to always complain that Final Fantasy XIV didn't have PvP. Or Final Fantasy XI. I would always complain about those games. Oh, they need more PvP. Why don't they just do Frontiers or things like that? Like, I would always complain about shit like that. And then, finally, I sat down with a friend of mine. And he's a big Final Fantasy fan. He's like, yeah, but Final Fantasy fans aren't really used to PvP. And when he told me that, I was like, fuck, he's right. So why are they even trying? Like, I'm not trying to say don't try, period. Oh, Final Fantasy games aren't PvP, so it's never going to work. But what you're working with right now in PvP, it's almost worse than not trying. Because it's like, you guys ever hear the concept of, like, sometimes it's better not to try something um, in a finished product then try it really shittily because it almost like takes away from your experience. You know, it's, it's not the argument of like, oh, take 100 shots. Maybe you, if you don't take 100 shots, if you, you miss every one, right? It's not that. It's that I'm launching a full price product and I'm using this as a selling point. If this is my selling point or a selling point of my game and it sucks, it might be a reason people quit. And that's my issue with a lot of current MMOs is like, what is your target audience? Like, please tell me. These games, what is your target audience? My opinion, guys, is their target audience is everybody. Everyone. If you ask them what their target audience is, everybody. Cha-ching! Money signs. Like, that's their audience. I'm sorry. I don't think that's sustainable. The amount of money and resources it would, it would require to make a great MMO to every market. Like, imagine if you had an MMO that was great for role players for PVPers, for um, you name it, right? All of that. 
Do you imagine how expensive that would be? How hard it would be to make a game that's great for everybody? That's why it's not sustainable. That's why it shouldn't be the industry standard. And that's why, because it's the industry standard now, we have so many problems with so many games looking the same and feeling the same way. It's because they all steal from each other. That's why I'm so excited to see what the indie market has in store. Because while I'm excited to play Classic WoW right now, Arcage is trying to do a you know reboot of sorts to fix all of their problems with their game. And many other games are doing that. Fantasy Star 2, we talked about some of these games. Those games are exciting to me. But they're exciting to me because I'm, I want to try them, I want to play them, and I want to give my impressions on them, like a review on them. But in terms of like pushing the market forward, am I looking at them as like, these are going to be the main thing? Classic WoW? Hmm. I can see that in some ways, right? Because Blizzard is just so massive. Arcage, is it going to be the same level of hype as they got the first time? Maybe not. I'd love to see it, though. But are these current generation of MMOs, ba Battle for Azeroth, WoW? Final Fantasy XIV, Elder Scrolls Online, Guild Wars 2, Black Desert Online. Are these five games going to be what pushes the market forward in the future? I don't see an argument for that because neither of those five games do anything remarkably different than each other. That's so fucking unbelievably unique that we're like, oh my god, this feature's crazy, right? While still the top place to raid, I guess you have that, right? Black Desert Online at the moment seems the place to go to play PvP the most. So I guess it kind of has that going for it, loosely, if you're into that sort of grind them up while everybody else spends money for convenience kind of uh, gameplays or gameplay loops. It's just like so many of the current day popular MMOs, they don't appeal to anybody. They don't. They appeal to everybody. So instead of looking at my target audience of like, I want to make a Dragon Ball Z MMO where Dragon Ball Z fans love that shit. They're like, I want to make a Dragon Ball Z MMO that everybody likes. But not everybody likes Dragon Ball Z. So why are you trying to make everybody like Dragon Ball Z? By making everybody like your game, you essentially take no risk. Because how are you going to be risky if being risky pisses people off and makes them not want to play your game. Good example, and I love bringing up this example because it's the most extreme example I can think of really quickly. Permanent death or full loot. These are real mechanics that exist in current MMOs. They're not very well known, but they exist. Why aren't they in the mainstream? Because they don't have mainstream appeal in the same way yet. Is it possible for a non-mainstream thing to become mainstream? Well, that's how we got here in the first place, guys. WoW was mainstream. Lineage became mainstream. MMOs were not originally supposed to be mainstream. We were all basement dwellers who had computers and lived online and had social environments where we sat in Ventrilo all day and did fucking raid content. We were a more hardcore version of gamer. That's just a fact, right? There's no denying that because you just look at early MMOs and they're pretty difficult. Even today, even if you go back and play them, they're still pretty difficult in terms of like the median level of, of play or the or the average level of play, they're still pretty difficult. And yet, why am I hearing people in 2019 continue to make the argument that, oh, they can't do that, that'd make the game too hard. It's like, the games are always hard. It's almost like when somebody comes into your store, you own the store, and they start telling you about how to run the store. And you're like, while I appreciate your advice, 
you don't really even know how these things fucking work. And when somebody comes in and they're like, hey, man, like MMOs can't be too difficult, bro. That's why they're, they're doing this, they're doing that. That's why they have all these difficulty modes. It's because, you know, that's just how it has to go. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That's just a fucking common sense argument. And common sense arguments are like the worst arguments ever. Common sense arguments are like, mm, sounds kind of realistic. Could happen, maybe. You know what I mean? Those are common sense arguments. Once you actually examine it, though, it kind of just falls apart. Do I have good hopes for a WoW expansion? If you're talking about um, to retail WoW, no. If you watch my retail WoW video, I've said it <laughs> pretty point blank. I think that game's going to massively fail. Like I, I mean, I've, I'm already putting myself out there saying that I think BFA is going to massively fail. Like, sorry, I think WoW retail is going to massively fail. The reason for that, as I mentioned in my re or my video about classic, uh, or sorry, BFA Battle for Azeroth, it's too compromised. The game is too compromised. Having played Classic and played the original now, I just don't see a way to really fix that in terms of like an MMO. The only way I see it going is them basically taking it to its current logical conclusion, which is kind of like, I'm going to sound really fucked up, but it's kind of like the multiplayer online RPG kind of thing again. It goes back to that kind of thing. More towards being a lobby-based game. Could they create all of these zones and divide them up squish the level cap to 60 and try and make a conducive experiment or experience out of that it'd be a nice experiment do i think it's going to work probably not there's too many moving pieces there they have to fix the economy they have to fix all the useless zones and find a way to like tie them in with story content uh, i just i just don't see it happening man i think at this point it makes way more sense for them to just say hey bfa we're going to try what we can with the current retail version of wow but let's put our bets on the next version of WoW, if there is a next version, right? If I'm a developer, or let's say I'm a, I'm a big wig, I've got the money or the decision making, I'm looking at both of my WoW games like, okay, well, obviously one is doing better than the other right now. That doesn't necessarily mean my other one's completely fucked forever, but it is showing me something. And it's showing me that it's going to be pretty fucking hard to fix my current game. But what if I don't need to fix it per se? And what if I can just kind of make it the best experience for the people who are still currently playing it, you know? So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that maybe Classic WoW or Classic WoW Plus or the next WoW game could be the one that they make a statement with. I don't think current WoW is ever going to make any more statements. At this point, I think they're going to play it pretty safe and they're just trying to keep the game alive by um, <clears throat> squishing all the content down which I just think is a, a band-aid fix, basically. I think they're going to reintroduce the classic style of everything. That would take another two, three expansions for retail to fix itself. Well, re uh, where retail exists and makes some money, and classic becomes a new cash cow. <laughs> which is funny, right? Because that's like the opposite of what people were saying. Or said, I should say. Maybe next expansion can be WoW 2. Uh, WoW 2 is going to take a long time, man. Because, like, could they just, like, use their current infrastructure, try and upgrade that to create a new game? It's possible, but it's not as easy as people think. And that's why, like, yes, engines are iterative. Yes, software updates constantly happen and updates to engines happen. 
But sometimes an engine just has certain issues that can't be fixed. And it's just a problem of the engine. So I don't think it's out of the question to see them like go back to the drawing board and try and work on a new engine or at least like upgrade their current engine. And when I say new engine, I don't mean from scratch, obviously. But it also could just be like a, you know, an EverQuest or a, uh, Ar sorry, not an Arcage, a um, Asheron's Call situation where they take the model of the game and then just kind of make like the newer version of it. It could be something like that, if that's what you're saying. You think they don't work on WoW in the meantime, WoW 2 in the meantime? I mean, they scrapped Titan, uh, but still. Um... It's possible. It's possible, but I think that they would wait until they got enough information that it was a good investment. The problem with Blizzard right now, the reason why I'm not really looking at them themselves to be the, the innovation pusher in the market is because they're, they're, they're labored by how slow they can move as a company because they're so giant. Um, but they also, they're really f afraid, even though they're met with constant metrics that show success. They don't trust it unless it's their own metrics. And WoW's launch kind of proved that. And I think that's a little bit worrying for me because I wonder, like, how long would it actually take them to see the value in it and notice they're going to have to start to transition to the next leg of their career if they want to stay doing MMOs? Because you can't keep doing the same MMO forever. You just can't. The technology just isn't there yet, guys. We, we have to make new games. MMO worlds have to be remade, you know? They have to come to an end, at least currently, with our current tech limitations. All right, so um, it's that part of the podcast right before I do the call-in segment. But before I do the call-in segment, because I forgot to do the uh, MMO roundtable, I'd like to call everybody in to the uh, uh, Discord. If you could join the podcast lobby right now. If any of you are interested in talking about our weekly MMO roundtable discussion topic which is just um, each person you know, gets five to 10 minutes to make their own case concerning the question for the week. And the weekly topic is how to make an RP-focused MMO. I'd like for you guys to come up with some features, a design maybe, or even some ideas concerning how you would do a role-play-focused MMO. And I, I figured to, to give you guys some time to join the podcast lobby, if any of you guys are in, indeed, um, you know, have the desire to join in on the discussion today. I know we started a little bit later today. We don't normally start so late on the discussion. So if any of you guys right now would like to join me in the podcast lobby, please join in. So that way I know I have people to chat with voice-wise. If nobody joins, if you guys are ever wondering what happens if nobody joins, I'll just talk about the topic myself. I mean, no problem with me. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So I just would love for you guys to come uh, talk to me about it as well. So join Discord slash uh, Nerdslayer www.discord.gg slash nerdslayer if you're not already a part of the discord that's how you get the majority of the updates so stay tuned on the discord and twitter as well every now and then i fuck around with that shit all right so I don't, nobody's joining yet so i'm gonna go ahead and go right into it myself um how i would do it and yeah i know it's a little bit later and also people are just probably tired in general from from playing mmos staying up late <laughs> um let's talk about um all right let's let's talk about it how would I create a roleplay focused MMO and do so in a way that could be conducive to longevity, right? Um, I think there's two different ways. The two different ways I see is either you become the DM. And what I mean by you become the DM, I mean you can make your own quest, you can make your own raids, you can make your own PvP uh, engagements, 
your own guild halls, maybe player housing. Basically, like, you can kind of just design every aspect of the game itself. So it's think of it as like a systems-based game. This version of the roleplay MMO is a systems-based roleplay game where it's all based around things like Neverwinter Nights, modules. This is very, you know, uh, recognizable for anybody who's played tabletop. Campaigns, right? You could design a roleplay game based around camp- campaigns, right? Roleplay, um, sorry, what it means precisely, there is no precise word. So I'm, I'm sorry, if you want a precise definition, you might need to go talk to the people who invented the term. But the loose um, meaning of roleplay basically just means that whenever you're playing a game, you are pretending to be the character that you're playing in the world that you're playing in, right? Roleplaying as in sort of classic tabletop D&D stuff. Uh, well, not even that. MM- MMO players roleplay all the time too. When you play your character and you're like, man, I love this gear. I love this class. It's so cool and fun. You're still kind of role-playing, bro, because you're playing a class. Like, I'm not trying to say you're, like, pretending you're the warlock guy, because you're probably not doing that. But you're still, like, getting involved in the fact that you're connected to role-playing a character, right? That's what a role-playing game is. That's what the role-play and role-playing game means. So MMO role-playing game. Um, when I think about that kind of game... It makes a lot of sense to me. It's module-based. You can create your own campaigns, just like in uh, tabletop games. And, and, and it's like, there's a lot more freedom, and the game is created by the players themselves. That's one version of the game. Now, the second version of a roleplay-focused game is we make a, a world-based game. And what I mean by that is that a game that's based on the story provided by the world itself. Um, the example I like to use for that is Lord of the Rings, right? In Lord of the Rings, although it is the story of Frodo and, you know, his friends, it's more so the story of the entire fellowship and the story of them traversing through Middle-earth and going through Lord of the Rings. And, you know, it's, it's not just about the chosen one is what I'm trying to say. Without Frodo's help from his friends, right? That, that's a literal quote from uh, Tolkien. Without the help from his friends, he would have never made it. So that the story in Lord of the Rings is it's a world story. So the second MMO that I would design with with a role play focus is based on world story. So I'm talking about let's say let's just use Lord of the Rings as an example. I decide to play as an orc. I load in and boom, my orc tribe's already at war with some other tribe because that's what orc tribes would be doing. And let's say I I, I run upon uh, five different humans. Those humans can attack me, and they have good reason to because orcs in the Lord of the Rings world are oftentimes kind of assholes and just attack different villages. But what if they decide to befriend me? And next thing you know, I'm friends with humans. And this opens up this whole other channel of like roleplay. Or now I'm this orc who's a completely different person. Think about being an immigrant moving to a different country. That's, th- that's kind of what it could feel like, right? And that kind of MMO, when you're playing a unique class that's based on a backstory uh, or a race that's based on a backstory, like the orcs, you know? The, they're warlike or the Urukai are created by like warped versions of elves and things like that. The point being is, is if you're not going to make it modular based, where you, the players, can basically kind of control everything, you have to make it to where the game itself is the story, which means it isn't reliant as much on the developers to lead the story. The reason why I didn't mention any kind of theme park style games as good for roleplay is because I'm only focused... uh, Sorry, actually, I take that back. The first one that I mentioned was a theme park example, so that's a bad example. The the module-based thing kind of is theme park-y, so I take that back. That's the more theme park approach. If cost is an issue, if resources are an issue, and you want to keep things scaled small, I think you could do a, a, an MMO like that. Um, that being said, 
I personally, of course, um, would prefer the world story game that also has elements of that. So say, for example, what if world story is the focus, but I can also make my own quests? Games have done that already. Star Wars Galaxies had that exact system. I talk about it all the time. They had the Chronicler. Galaxies is a sandbox game. It's much like the second game I was describing, where the world is a story, right? But what if the world is a story, but also you give someone the ability to make their own quest, their own player housing, their own factions, their own, you know, uh, you get my point. If you give players more of the ability to create more content, then you have a game that essentially never stops functioning. And what I mean by that is that role play requires player interaction. You cannot role play, technically speaking, in the same way by yourself, unless you're playing a single player game, right? If you're playing a, a massive multiplayer online game and you're role playing on your own, it's possible, but at some point you're gonna have to run into other players. At some point you're gonna have to work with other players because that kind of is a big part of the game. And so you're gonna have to role play with those players at some point. And I think that's just one of those things where it, you might be quick to think, no, don't make it instance. Don't have these like Neverwinter Night-like modules that are kind of instanced because, you know, you think that instance is bad. But instance isn't necessarily bad if it means that we have way more control over what we could create. So that, that's kind of how I would describe it is like you can combine those two ideas together as well. Um, you just can't combine them. You can only combine them one way. If you make your game based on world story first, then add module-based gameplay to it, that's possible. Games have done that before. Galaxies did it. Um, Neverwinter Nights did it, though they got rid of it. And their, their uh, multiplayer game, sorry. Their multiplayer game, RPG, has it. Their MMO got rid of it, the Foundry system. Star Trek Online had it as well, got rid of it. Point being is it's possible to build a game, then add a module-based system after. It's pretty impossible to build a module-based game, then try and make it a sandbox. Because you kind of have to literally unravel the game parts about it and turn it into a world. Because when a writer creates a story, it's called world building, right? They create a story, but it goes past just that contained story. They also have to build the world in which the story is contained in. The same thing applies to an MMO. And the same thing would apply when you compare that to a book, right? So it's just comparing the two things together. World building in a MMO is about the world, the story itself from the world that comes from the world. You, the player, should be able to affect that, <clears throat> but if it becomes the only way that you can affect that, actually has no effect, aka everything is instance, and there's no ramifications from such, that kind of makes you feel disconnected. So ultimately, in my personal opinion, when it comes to a roleplay-focused MMO, build it on the basis of the world mattering. The world being the focus for the story, the world being dangerous, because in any good roleplay experience, the world is dangerous. My best example of this, and I love bringing this up to people, is I'll say stuff like this, and people will say, dude, your game sounds way too hard. Nobody's going to play it. Okay, then why does everybody play fucking um, Dungeons & Dragons? Does anybody think Dungeons & Dragons is easy? Because if you think it's easy, you don't play. It's not easy. It's how you make it. It can be easy if you make an easy-ass campaign, or you could die in your first encounter. That's kind of the point is, in D&D, you as the DM can control all of that. But in a MMO, it's equalized amongst thousands and millions of players. That's why I kind of like the module-based idea, because yeah, what if you do make a module-based story content for yourself, 
But you don't care about appealing to a mass audience. You only care about making it challenging or fun. And that's why mods are awesome, right? The, the community, when it comes to making content, they make way more content and arguably better content than the developers make. There's many reasons for that. And the biggest reason is, is that when you're driven by money, you have a big, um, what's the word? You have a ceiling on how much money you can make, right? And D&D, the DM can select difficulty as he sees fit and possibly change it on the fly. Exactly. And I've mentioned this to people. It's like, they say, oh yeah, but it's not the same in an MMO. It's like, wait a minute. How is a developer not a DM? They, they are a DM by the definition of it. They are a DM. <clears throat> the problem with developers is they basically don't do DM work, right? Because they're designing it for a big audience. So it's like, if I, if I have my phone here, and the developers are designing the entirety of the phone for everybody's experience. The problem is, is that if Joe Blow over here at this part of the experience wants a more difficult experience or a more engaging roleplay experience, he's not going to get it. That DM, the developer, can't give him that individual experience. He can't. It's impossible. Unless he does instances. Or does module-based content, which is what I'm talking about. When I say module-based content, for those who aren't aware, go watch any videos concerning Neverwinter Nights 1 and 2. Um, because those games, and I need to make a video about those, I know, I should. I should make a death of a game on those, but like, because those used to play on the Game Spy servers. They're kind of like related, but um, go check out those games if you're not familiar with what module-based gameplay is. And if you've never played D&D, what are you waiting for? Play some D&D. Um, you know, I hope that, you know, whenever I have a storefront here and maybe we have some events here, I can teach people how to play D&D on stream. Um, it's just hard to stream D&D because you need camera equipment and you need a place to shoot. So that's why you guys don't really see me recording it. Um, but point being is like, if you haven't played that kind of content yet, you're missing out because if you play D&D and I'm not saying you need to enjoy it and you need to play it all the time, you will start to understand how MMOs work, guys. I can't make this shit up. If you pay attention to tabletop games, you will understand they started it all. They informed the beginning of it. Mud games informed that. You know, pen and paper started it all. You can start to see, wait a minute, the developer is the DM. But what if we could have a developer that's only focused on creating more story? It's been done already, guys. Asheron's Call did it for years. They had content updates. For 18 months in a row. Great con... No, no, sorry. It was like 26 months in a row or something ridiculous. They had like, I think, a two or three year span where they never missed a single monthly update. That's developers being the DM. That's how I see it. They're saying, let's put some more content in here. Let's change some things. Oh, the world quest over here. Let's destroy this town because of some big conflict. That's the developers being the DM. Developers in current day MMOs don't want to do shit like that at all. In fact, they design the game so they don't have to. So you can just press LFG and load in and boom, you're, you're into a raid. They don't want to have to com complete this like cohesive zone or whatever else where you have to like go through and work through it. That's hard to do. Fuck that. Just create a raid where you can just load into things by pressing a, a, a dungeon finder. But if you're going to give me a dungeon finder and you're going to give me instance raids... Why the fuck can't I customize them how I want to? That's my problem as a, as a, as a role player. As a role play fan, 
My problem with most MMOs and the way that they handled instance content and looking for group, uh, you know, channels, if you will, is that why can't I change aspects of the raid? Why can't I change aspects of the dungeon? Why not just let me customize it? Because after I play it two or three times, I'm not going to play it again. So what's a better design? To design something with the in, uh, inclination of having it played once or twice and it being a good experience, or the idea of it being played over and over and over again because it's based on a system, not just static content that once consumed no longer can be reconsumed. The only thing developers have found to fix that is gameplay difficulty modes. That's why they sold this whole hard and heroic mode. Sorry, guys, I don't buy into that shit. Not that I don't play them or I'm not against playing them. I like hard difficulties. I only play RPGs on hard difficulties. But if you're trying to sell me on hard difficulty modes in MMOs, I'm not interested. I don't really give a shit about hard difficulty modes. Design your game raids around being difficult, period. Then you got me interested. Because that means a lot more to me as a, as a design decision for your world than just basically being like, we're just going to make it easy for everybody. But don't worry, if you want a challenging experience, you can have it. It's like, but how can I feel connected to my world if we're all having different experiences of the world, even though it's the same world? So like, if I'm doing Molten Core and there's a heroic mode of Molten Core and another guy does the regular version of Molten Core, are we still doing the same version of Molten Core? Kinda. But is it the same experience? No. And yet, that guy feels like it is. The guy who completed his normal run feels like it is. Why don't I feel that way? Because I feel like I had to work much harder to do it my way. And that's kind of why, like, although difficulty modes make sense in a game perspective, in a world perspective, they don't really make any sense. Why even bother with heroic molten core? You're not even getting much better rewards. I mean, I wish I could answer that for you, dude. I don't know why people do, honestly. I don't know why people are so obsessed with hard difficulty mode raids. Because all that tells me is that you guys could have made a better raid, but you made it easier and shittier because you were afraid that your player base couldn't make it through. I'm, that's just making content for the lowest common denominator. I'm sorry, guys. Like, that's why I'm not the mainstream MMO guy covering all of the content, okay? I'm the more, you know, a little bit specific guy. I get that. Because that's just not fun for me. That's not what I want. It's the pad time for developers. Yeah, that's how I see it. And yet people defend it, man. That's what I'm saying. Is like people defend this shit. I get messages where it's like, yeah, but they released two new hard raids this month. And it's like, you mean the same raids that were re-released? Does that shit still work on you guys? Them re-releasing shit? Like the same shit? Just making it a little bit harder? I don't know. Doesn't work for me. And I can't wait for content of that sort, raid content and PvE content, to evolve. Because where I'm at right now, I just don't feel like it's evolving. Maybe not fast enough. Difficulty equal bigger numbers, not actual design. Yeah. And then it's also like, 
for the world perspective, why does it make a, why does it make sense to have differing levels of difficulty for the same task? For example, if I'm completing a raid where I'm defeating this big evil dragon and he's a massive threat to the world, why would I be able to play him on easy mode? Like what? It literally just yoinks me right out of the immersion. That kind of stuff. It's like, oh, big giant dragon is going to destroy everything. Yoink, easy mode. Like, that's why I play RPGs on hard difficulties. It's hard for me to feel connected to my character when it's too easy for me. So maybe that's just a thing for me. Maybe that's just my opinion. Or maybe I'm just tired of this old, the same old, same old uh, standard fare. We've been ranting all over the place. I know you guys are enjoying the ranting. My voice isn't. <laughs> hey, at least my voice is warmed up so I can do some uh, reshoots after this. Developers want to give a power fantasy, and yeah, that's how many MMOs have uh, essentially sh shaken out. They've become just giant power fantasies. Where it's like, I'm so powerful and I can destroy you because I'm level fucking whatever billion, and I've got the super mega awesome gear. But if your hour-to-hour, second-to-second leveling experience is too easy, then doesn't that mean that they've taken away the risk of dying? And if they've taken away the risk of dying, what fear do you have for losing? No fear. And if you have no fear, what gets you excited enough to not pull a risky pull because you don't want to get wiped? The fear of getting wiped. Making the game too safe ultimately just, it ruins the game. That's why I always complain about difficulty modes. Because people rail me on that shit. They're always like, oh, you say it's raids are easy, but this game has heroic mode. Yeah, and 1% of the population plays it. So it's a nonsensical argument. It's like saying like, yeah, but... The top 1% is really rich, and they have lots of money. It's like, okay, but not everybody's going to be rich. So, like, do we just design the game for only the people at the highest level? Only the lowest level? Or do we just to say, like, hey, this is what our difficulty level is, like Dark Souls did. Take it or leave it. I mean, it's been pretty successful for games like that, right? That are known for being difficult that basically made it their statement to say, hey, we're difficult, we don't care what you think. I don't know, I think that's attractive as well. I think a game that's difficult because you can work together and have fun is awesome. When a game has a more dangerous world, it forces you to want to work with other people. Think about the zombie apocalypse. If it happened tomorrow and 100,000 zombies were just teleported into our uh, country of you know, the US or whatever, and we had to deal with them. It's going to fucking, we're going to be working together to have to deal with them, right? We don't have a choice. It's a serious threat that we need to work together to get rid of. But what happens when PvE is too safe? Well, why do I need to work with anybody? Why do I even need to talk to anybody? If my living conditions in a world are too easy to live in, then what's the risk for me ever having to venture out of my comfort zone? I don't have to. I can just sit in the, the you know, convenience and safety of my city and just spam LFG all day. And if that's your fun version of a game, you don't play MMOs. You play lobby games. You play multiplayer online RPGs. But that's not an MMO experience. And I guess if I can end my rant on that, it's that we have to make a stand for what something means at some point. And I'm willing to make the stand since I'm the guy who's got the audience now. You guys follow me. If I'm the one to get yelled at, then I'm the one to get yelled at. But I'm willing to make the stand that let's hold these games accountable for what they're saying they are. So if a game like Atlas, remember when we did that video, 
if they're saying they're an MMO, hold them accountable for it. If they're saying they have massive amounts of players, hold them accountable for it. The only way to protect this genre being ruined by people is us protecting it. So we have to be the ones to say, this isn't really an MMO. Why are you calling it that? It seems like bitching, right? It seems like just, oh, you're just creating an angry mob. Why do that? Sometimes an angry mob's needed, right? Sometimes change happens because you get an angry mob. The problem arises when you have an angry mob with no direction. And that's what I dislike about a lot of the rhetoric, hate rhetoric, that's surrounding uh, MMOs. Oh, well, free-to-play games are all pay-to-win. That's a common-sense argument because it's not actually what it means. It's not actually how it is. Not every free-to-play game is pay-to-win. It's just that the free-to-play model is so easy to take advantage of. You see what I'm saying? The model itself doesn't have morality. It's not like, <laughs> I'm really effective. It was designed by somebody else. It's just a model that gets changed and used by whoever. You know, it's a tool. And tools can be used for good and they can be used for evil. Yeah, Atlas, sorry, it wasn't a video, it was a stream, and I don't even remember which one it was, but maybe I will make a video on it at some point. But I just, I didn't like when Atlas came out and was like, we are an MMO, we have lots of players connected, and it's like, oh, but only on, like, certain servers, and then, like, kind of connected and not really connected, it's like, and you're not an MMO, so, why not just call yourself a multiplayer online game with loads of players? Because for marketing, maybe it's sexier to be like, massive, or massive, you know? How do you specifically make your fantasy MMO RP-oriented? What kind of systems would you stuff in there? I mean, I, I just think that that comes from a consequence of creating a good world. That's what I'm trying to say. Good roleplay comes from a good world. So if you've ever played D&D, um, when your DM creates a good campaign and he creates a good environment for roleplay, that's what creates roleplay. He doesn't actually necessarily even have to force roleplay out of you. He doesn't even need to make you do game-like mechanics where, like, every single time you're like, whenever I roll, I'm going to, like, do some elaborate roleplay. They don't really have to do things like that, which video games do have to do that. They have to make it to where this little mechanic equals this thing because games are designed in that way. Instead of what you can do is... You rely on things that are already existing in the game. For example, if your game has enough customization, then it effectively means you can roleplay more characters. If your game has unique enough classes, it means that it's easier to roleplay because when you pick a class, you sort of know what your identity is at least somewhat supposed to be. Uh, other things are, like I mentioned, if the world is dangerous enough, it makes you want to work with other people. And working with other people is how you survive, right? So you create guilds and communities to work together. Now, you might ask, like, yeah, but what if these players are just elite speakers and they don't want to really roleplay? The thing about roleplay, guys, and this is going to be the confusing part about it, it's not just what you say. It's not just what you say. It's also what you do. And that's the most important part about it, is that if roleplay was only the words, right, then it would be easy to roleplay all the time. But it's not just the words. It's also, like, what do you do? Like, what is the purpose of you being here? If you don't know why your character is doing something, how in the fuck are you supposed to roleplay it, right? It's going to be pretty hard to roleplay. If you're like, well, I don't know, I guess he's just like getting the next like Azerite gear, like whatever. Like he's getting more powerful? Yeah, something like that. How do you roleplay that? Like versus when you're like, mm, I got this new sword. 
amazing sword has changed my character's life. Like, this sword is so powerful. That's something I can roleplay, right? It's things like that. You have to make a more conducive, sorry, more cohesive world. Your world has to function like an ecosystem. There needs to be a threat, a constant threat that needs to get stamped out. People need to work together. They need to work together because the economy, because of the harsh conditions of the world, because it benefits them, right? Because it benefits them. That's a big reason that people are social. That's what many current MMOs are missing, is that people tell me all the time, dude, you say these MMOs are antisocial, but you can join a group. And I'm like, it's like, checkmate, right? I guess that was it. My argument's debunked. Because you can join a group, right? So isn't the game group focused if you can just join a group? Literally doing something doesn't mean it actually can accomplish what it wants to accomplish, right? Say for example, I could run a lot, but maybe I don't lose weight because I don't run enough. Or maybe I run with really poor form and get injured in some way, right? You can join, exactly, uh, Bonato, exactly. You can join a group, but, but why? Why would you? Like when people tell me, yeah, but Swotor has grouping and you can do group content. Yeah, but you can also do it solo. So can you ask me or tell me rather, why would somebody choose not to do it that way? Friends? What if they don't have friends? Well, what are the things that I'm saying? More difficulty, more consequences, more class identity, AKA uniqueness, you need to work with other people. Less about this 1v1, everybody can do everything mentality. That's not good for roleplay. If your character can do everything, it's horrible for roleplay. Because in what roleplay universe does a character just do everything perfectly? It doesn't really happen because it's not roleplay. Like in D&D, when you, when you roll a character, let's say he's a ranger and you have low strength, you're pretty weak, right? You're not that strong. And so you have weaknesses. Maybe you're a big, strong, burly uh, fucking barbarian, but you're dumb as shit. You have to have some sort of weaknesses. So class identity just makes all of that easy. That's why D&D's system just works, man. And it has been working. I don't know why people keep venturing away from it, because their systems aren't working. Last time I played Swotor, you could two three-man dungeons. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did all of the flashpoints by myself. Because you get that robot and your companion. So basically you're doing it as a three-man. But it's, it's just you and your other two companions. Do you think we'll ever get another D&D-based MMO? At this point, man, uh, like, I don't see why not. It's not, it's not uh, going anywhere anytime soon. I go to PAX Unplugged every year, and I'm going this year again in two months. And uh, they're always packed. Uh, people are always playing tabletop games. The tabletop community... And the D&D community, especially with all this recent, you know, critical role, like massive popularity, it's on the rise and it's not going anywhere. So when I go to that community and I ask them about MMOs, they look at MMOs like MMOs of the past. Isn't that fucking funny? Tabletop came first. We evolved from them. And yet when I talk to them, they talk to me like MMOs are the ones stuck in the past. And it's just like, dude, it just makes you realize like, fuck, we're such a young industry. We're so young. We have so many growing pains. 
Because these tabletop fans who love RPGs, who love adventure parties, who love grouping together, all of the things that you would love doing in an MMO are telling me that they can't do what they want to do in an M- in a MMO as an experience, and that's why they don't play them. That they can't create their character the way they want to. That they can't have the faction system the, the way they, they want to. That it's not as free form as D&D. There's not as much... There's too much limitations, as I think Gardner put. Too much limitations. And uh, that's why I love the idea of doing like a DM, you know, t- development team, kind of like Matrix Online did, kind of like Asheron's Call did, where they had developers who were just dedicated to creating kind of content within the game. Um, but at the same time, you don't have to do that if you make your game based around that in the first place. So the less that you can have developers be involved in day-to-day interactions, the better for resources and all of that other stuff. So if you can design your game where your systems are happening dynamically, meaning like the world goes on without you, the player, in it or not. It's just not going to function as effectively. So maybe this village exists, but until you come and help that village and and maybe you uh, put your banner down and claim it as yours, the village now gets an XP boost and actually starts to accrue bonuses. So maybe it grows from a village to a city, right? These are kind of things that create roleplay, but they're kind of hard to do in a game, right? And that's why it's so easy to do D&D because you can create basically anything within the rule set. Whereas, you know, the rule set in a game is coding and coding is a lot more, at least right now, for MMOs and the technology required, it's a lot more stringent, right? It's harder to get it to work. Have you managed to get your matrix monetization back? Yeah, I did, luckily. Um, Warner Brothers stopped trying to uh, take my money, which wasn't even making me money anymore anyway. (laughs) But... They wanted to take whatever money it was making me. All right, I've reached the end of the podcast. I don't have anything else to talk about. We've ranted a bit, and I'm also pretty damn tired. I didn't sleep a whole lot. My ass hurts because I was rollerblading last night, falling on my ass. Hey, dudes that are 6'5 aren't supposed to just rollerblade around like willy-nilly. My legs are like stilts, so I'm like a baby giraffe. Like, I wish I could have recorded that shit for you guys. Y'all would have laughed at that shit, but uh, I had a good time. (laughs) And I can't wait to um, do more shit like that, honestly. The community here in Austin is just awesome, man. There's like, there's so much shit that you can do and uh, people are pretty open about that kind of stuff. So I just love that I live in a city now. I've been here for about a year and some change that has a role play community and a gaming community. And um, I hope to someday soon, within a year, be able to have events here so I can maybe invite you guys from wherever the fuck you guys are at to come visit and partake in some of the festivities here. One last point I wanted to make before I say goodbye to you guys. By the way, again, thank you for joining me on episode 50 of the Six Pixels Under podcast. Um, it's, been a, it's been a wild one, right? We've been ranting all over the place. But what I wanted to tell you guys is that if any of you like going to conventions, um, there's a good chance I'll be there. Because uh, the, the plan for the next year, and I mean year starting from now, is I've got my cousin and a friend of mine, Cole, and uh, we're going to be traveling to every convention that we can possibly get to trying to record vlog content, trying to record anything that we think needs to be said or done that could be useful for you guys. And of course, you know my content always focuses first and foremost on multiplayer and MMO-like content because that's what I'm most interested in. The content where people interact with each other. If you guys are ever wondering what games I play, I play single-player games, but are they like my best favorite thing? No, I, I want to play with somebody else. I prefer a co-op game. So anyway, I just bring that up. If you guys ever want to see me at a convention, there's a good chance I'm going to be there, so... Um, this goes out to everybody. I'd love to meet all of you guys uh, someday. Um, maybe 
Maybe you guys can go to a convention that's near your town. Uh, say, for example, PAX Prime in Seattle. There's PAX East in Boston. There's uh, PAX South in San Antonio. There's RTX in Austin. There's E3 in LA. There's PAX Unplugged in Philly. Uh, Gamescom's in Germany. That one's going to take a while to go to. Maybe maybe that's how I can meet some of my European fans someday. Uh, I got to fly there. It's going to be expensive, but um, that's another one. Uh, maybe Comic-Cons and MLG events and things of that nature, dream hacks. But ultimately speaking, those are kind of the main events. So if you ever have a chance to go to one of those events, guys, I would take it just because they're awesome events, period. <laughs> they're awesome places to meet friends, uh, get free shit, and see all the coolest games. But also, you have a chance to hang out with me. So anyway, um, I'll see you guys later. I don't have anything else to add. Thanks for joining me on this Monday. It's 2.45 p.m. my time, which means that my voice has run out, and it's time for me to drink water and possibly eat some food. Oh yeah, uh, you yeah. I'm trying to go to basically every game, uh, every game con I can go to. Anime cons, I'm not as sure about what kind of content I want to do there. Though I could dress up as a detective, and that could be some funny content. So I might go to Comic Con and just dress as, as a detective, and maybe we could shoot like an anime short or something funny along the lines of that. Sort of like we did uh, with our Patreon video. Um, but that's one of my ideas. Uh, the last one come to Europe. Yeah, I want to. I want to go to Gamescom first off because it seems like a badass event, but what, the reason why I want to go to Europe is because you guys have a lot of really cool land centers there, especially like, uh, you know, my um, my Nordic friends. Um, those areas have awesome land centers. In fact, uh, you have uh, Inferno Online, which I know Ludens knows because uh, it's created by a NIP guy. But yeah, NIP, NIP created uh, Inferno Online. It's the biggest land center in the world. It holds it holds the Guinness Book of World's Record, a world record for the biggest land center. They've got like 90 to 100 fucking stations there they have fucking csgo boot camps there sorry i say that shit because it's so cool to me man i love video games and i love when people try and get good at them no matter what that means like it's just interesting to me you should go to esl cologne such a hype event i would love to go man my family uh i have a an uncle who lives in germany so i have a free place to stay basically and that's dressing as a child version of detective conan hey i don't know how the fuck would that work, though? How, how, how does someone this size come in that side? You know what I'm saying? The hilarious thing is I feel like my, my, my younger cousin could pull off the, the younger version of Detective Conan. I feel like he could. Sure. Anyway, I'll see you later, guys. <laughs> I'm tired and just having fun. I had a good time. And I can't wait to see you guys at convention, so I will see you all there soon. The first one I'm going to is in November. Sorry, December. Six, and that's PAX Unplugged in uh, Philly. Right now, probably going to go do some dishes, eat some food, chill out. See you guys later. See you next week, actually. Same damn time. That's my Hex impression. Later, guys.